Ho, ho, ho. Hey everyone, it's Adam here, and I want to say a very, very happy holidays to all of you wonderful listeners, and a massive thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the love and support you have showed us throughout 2021. This right here is just a little thank you from us to you, making it available on the free public feed for the very first time. This is Making the Game, a bodybuilding biography bibliotech book report. And folks, this one has a very, very special place in my heart. Mild spoiler alert, but you'll hear us reference this throughout the book report. We say, as we go through this, that I, Adam, by far the manliest of the AE podcast boys, would have a go at making the game himself. And folks, I did do that. I made the game, I did Triple H's bodybuilding routine, and I ate like Triple H. And I recorded the whole thing in the form of a video diary, which you can find over at patreon.com forward slash podcast, where this book report was originally available. There is a whole shitload of content there, folks, including other book reports, video episodes, and a whole heap of SmackDown crawl. Over 150 hours of audio and video content available now, including... And I can't believe I'm going to say this because I promised myself that we were never going back there again, but me and Kevin have done it. We have reviewed more Limbiscuit by taking a look at their 2021 comeback album, Still Sucks. That is available on the Patreon feed now. And folks, it is a lot of fun. And it may not be what you expect it to be, quite frankly. But in the meantime, please do enjoy this Bibliotech book report on making the game. And if you do fancy seeing me lifting some heavyweights and eating a lot of chicken and eggs, you can find that video diary over on patreon.com forward slash podcast. Enjoy the book report and have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you again for all of your love and support, everyone. And we will see you in 2022. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the... Shh! You're in the Bibble Oh, yes! That's beautiful! (laughs) We finally got it. There we go. That's the branding right there. We're in the library. So the Bibliotech, not a bookshop, I always thought that was. The Bibliotech is actually a library. It's a library, yeah. It is a library. It is, yeah. And I want it to be clear that, like, Smackdown Crawl is a very loud, wacky, (laughs) fun time. Yeah. Let's take it down a notch. We're here to study. Mm. We're here to talk. This is a book club, let's not forget. Yeah, and a book, you're using the term as liberally as ever in this instalment. This is a book? I can tell, this is a book? This is most certainly a book. Yeah, it, it requisites of a book, it's got pages. Gee, this feels nasty in the hand. This is like a fucking phone book. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a phone book in a, in a really sad town where there's not a lot of people to yeah, call. a like, very small town oh, phone book. It's a sad print, isn't it? Oh, oh God, it's like, this is see-through almost. What book is it, Kevin? Making the Game. Triple H's Approach to a Better Body with Robert Caprio. Mm-hmm. So, we've got the picture of Triple H on the front cover here. Mm. Hey! <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that in this book, by the way. Sorry, you better get used to the sound of Triple H flexing, because that's 90% of this book's content. Like. So, is there a chapter in this book about kicking sandcastles? <laughs> what a bully! Like. Look at him. Fucking hell. Alright, some background, please. I mean, I think some people may know, if you were watching in the fucking Dark Ages, 
this came out, I think, around the time of the Scott Steiner business with Triple H. Yeah, when he got back into his bodybuilding and wanted to have a big physique again. We've like. thrown around the peak of Stan reference, but there mm-hmm. is a time for this and a look. What is the look and the time that we're talking about here for those who may or not familiar with 2003 wrestling it's honestly all peak Gaston is to me I can't speak on your behalf but to me all it is the slicked back hair completely clean shaven (laughs) like not a hair on his chin oh god and what a chin like chiseled chinny chin chin and the big smile like the corner of the mouth yeah like and usually the hair is either slicked back or sometimes it could be really well conditioned like right. that picture of him with the briefcase of money I think he's got <laughs> the, the big mane going on so there, like. we're talking about evolution Triple H yes absolutely you know reign of terror Triple H yeah. if he had clothes on it would have a big collar like yeah, a normally massive. a big shirt or there was that one time where it was like a pink polo I think yeah. a really tight like weird looking like, douche brochure Ric Flair smiling and nodding at him loads like <laughs> really really with them. Yeah. <laughs> Things like looking at scripts going, am I fucking going over? That Triple H. That Triple H. Yeah. Wearing a white boots or a purple boots or a, you know when he randomly oh, just yeah, the, the colour? If Steve Austin can do it with his knee braces for some reason, <laughs> I can do it with my boots. That's the Triple H that wrote this book. Okay. This book, the, the you know, it's known, people certainly know about this book. But I think most people just avoid it or look over it because they assume it's 100% bodybuilding. I mean, I thought 100% that's what it was. Well, in my mind, I had as well. And I thought, oh, no, we won't do that for Bibliotech because that's worse than Ryback. That's completely going to be like... We're just going to be talking about reps and clanging and banging. I mean, it does... The the, the clue is in the title here. It does say... Triple H's approach to a better body. Yeah. That, that gives it a, a kind of a clue there. And that's, you know, roughly over 50% of the book. I'd say it's a 55-45 split between workout and Triple H's biography. His biography! We get a pretty condensed journey through Triple H's life, like... Oh my god. From inception all the way up to evolution, basically. This is dodgy territory because the kind of... The biographies of Triple H as they stand have been a little bit lacklustre. I mean, you mentioned on our first live show, Triple H, Thy thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. Oh yeah, and lead us not into temptation, (laughs) but deliver us from the cheese. For fuck's sake. I've watched that, you've unfortunately watched it. And it had that was 2010 or 11. Yeah, it was way more recently. That was COO Triple H. And that was like struggled to reconcile the truth with the truth (laughs) for lack of a better term so i can't imagine in 2003 when the fucking corpse of when like him and china it's barely even cold Mm. the 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 the, the controversy is still piping hot Mm -hmm. i would say so yeah, this is going to be an interesting telling of events. So what? Yeah, that's what, a couple of things I wanted to check with you first. Is what are you expecting? Like, are you expecting him to dive into stuff with China, stuff with Steph? Are you expecting him to talk much about politics? I think this is such an interesting time because this is post WCW going down the toilet. Yep. So I think he'll probably be complimentary to the likes of Nash and Hall. I think who mm-hmm. had come in for a little bit of a spin around, maybe. Hall gets buried, but I'm pretty sure the likes of Billy Gunn, Road Dogg, X-Pac are not going to get mentioned at all. 
because they're too busy down in TNA challenging them in the Alamo or whatever the fuck like. Well, okay, another question then is yeah. who are you expecting to get buried in this book? Oh, I'm expecting a, a pretty full and complete burial of China. China? Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm expecting like kind of, man, I just wanted to, you know. We wanted the best for Joni, wanted, I don't know. Like, I don't know, man, but she insisted on leaving the company, you know. Joni, please. Joni, no. <laughs> <laughs> we here at Triple H's approach to a better body is sometimes been accused. <laughs> So yeah, I'm expecting some burials of, of kind of, of WCW talent. I'm expecting like people like Goldberg maybe even. I'm not sure if this is around the time that Goldberg would come in. I'm expecting some like big names. You piss on them. You piss on this business. <laughs> that kind of... I think, yeah, like soft targets in 2003 okay. and four. I'm okay. expecting. Right. If, if this is, for instance, around the time that Steve Austin has taken his ball and gone home, mm-hmm. I'm expecting this could be the first iteration in... DX inventing the Attitude Era, that old routine that started appearing around this time. So there's a lot of potential for burial, basically. Like, there's a lot of potential targets, depending on who he turns the gun towards here in 2004. Yeah, I mean, this is, he's just been given the keys to the kingdom here, hasn't he? You mm. know, he, he's only really been revving up the engine and taking it for his test drive now. This is early days, I think, Triple H. This is getting into the Reign of Terror now, right? Oh, yeah, but it's, it's only within a year or so. This mm. is after Rock and Austin are gone and... It truly is the Dark Ages again. Mm-hmm. I imagine Steiner's even going to get buried in here somehow for okay. some reason. So we're expecting a lot of burying. We're expecting maybe not so much truth when it comes to romance. Yeah. Politics. I think so. Okay. So this was published in 2004, which means we can assume it was probably written in either late 03, early 04, maybe. But around that time. Like... Now, in terms of the ghostwriting nature of this... Do you think that Triple H just, you know, hit the gym and talked out loud and Robert Caprio was just there with a notebook taking down the pearls of wisdom from the King of Kings? Well, as is a common theme on the Bibliotech, it has been incredibly hard to find any information about Robert Caprio whatsoever. He is like, a he's a ghost writer. Like, there's been times in the past where it's been like, oh, I think it might be this guy who went on to do this project and has now passed away, or it might not be him at all. Whereas this time, it's like, I haven't a fucking clue who this person is. Wow. I can't find even, like, associated names that are like, this might be him. Googling around, all I can find is this book... And he did write another book for the WWE. I've been teasing you for a couple of weeks now, saying there's a book that I found. And it's a book that I knew about when I was younger, and I've forgotten all about. And I think it would make for such good Bibliotech This isn't Pete Gass's book. No, that's you that wants that. You know, Demolition Brothers, the story of Sledge. That's funny that you would mention that, though, because that book would probably be largely about the commute. And this book we're talking about here is Are We There Yet? Tales from the Never-Ending Travels of WWE Superstars. It's a road that never ends. I know this one. This has got Big Show on the back. Mysterio and Big Show on a bike together. And that was also written with Robert Caprio. That came out in the same time was the other WWE unscripted book that the, I the have as well. The big coffee table big book. Big coffee table. Yeah. That is an interesting one. I would love to get my hands on from that. From what I understand, I've not looked at a lot of it, but from what I understand, it is like a collection of stories, like ribs, mishaps, and it's got like a few different wrestlers' input, so we get to talk about lots of different people on Fantastic. that one. Fantastic. I think that would be a very good trip. Like. Uh, very, very good indeed. Well, Robert Caprio is obviously... Uh, a writer of some repute if he's handling the big stuff, though. We're talking about... He's been trusted with the top dog right now. Yeah, I mean, the ass kicker is back, Adam. Here he uh, is. One last outlaw. Sorry, folks. I, if I seem exceptionally giddy, and I am, is because I've got this book 
looking right, it's right in front of that me. Face. Like, can you How imagine? How do you think I felt for this last few weeks reading this? Like, I, I know when we were out in public working together, you yes. know, I was editing and stuff, and you had to take out this book in public. Yes. Now, that's an embarrassing... I mean, I had... You know, big Manhattan takedown or whatever that, it was. You can cover up the front of that and that's no problem. And people could be like, oh, well, there's a babe on the front cover. Look at this. Almost every page, there he is going, nah, mm, <laughs> look at my chest, it's so tight. It's, oh, my God. Now, is there going to be a... Whoa! <laughs> he looks like Sabretooth from the original X-Men. Hang on, it's Sorry, things. folks, this is going to be really hard, but we'll have to upload some pictures to our Patreon. There is some gold in here when it comes to the workout pictures. Like, oh my god! I'm going to have to shield this book from you, otherwise this is going to be a long recording. Yeah, Hunter, could you could you gurn more, please, Stuart? <laughs> Fucking hell! Oh my god, this is really difficult. You're gonna need to like put brown paper bag over this or something. I'm gonna die watching this book. Okay. Oh, another little note here. Oh when I was god. trying to get a hold of this, the copy of this, the Amazon page doesn't even have the title right. It's called "Making Game" on Amazon. <laughs> I was like, That's an odd choice. Make now, there's a few versions of this, isn't there? I know there's. There, you've got this massive, hideous fucking business secrets Paperback, of the pharaohs. Black and white prints. It, proper business secrets of the pharaohs. Black and white. It's not black and white. This is black and fucking puddle grey. Grey So yeah. the, I need to check my eyes when I look at this thing. It's so faint. Well, that's the thing, actually. The Rock says, if you remember that, that had loads of shit going on all over the pages. But that Very, was always yeah. black and bold and like lightning and stuff. This is similar where all the pages are covered in stuff. But, like, look at the opening chapter here. It's, like, He's written... wearing a hat. Oh, my okay, God. Okay, you literally can't look at the pictures. I can't, Kevin. no. But look at this opening page of chapter one. Every chapter opening is written in a larger font and a pale grey. Like, imagine if you... <laughs> imagine if you printed a CV in baby blue ink on a black and white printer and it came out as just, like, this really faint grey. God, it's so, so much of the book is written like that. To give you an idea, this honestly looks like you have to do like a project in like primary school or like you know year seven or eight, where it's like a big you know piece of poster paper. You have to hang up loads of bits. You've done your research, yeah. but you put it in nice big font so anyone can read it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that. It's massive. It looks like it's been done on Word by a twelve-year-old ten years well, ago. It's a big book, Kevin. Folks, on this piece of paper, there's a three finger margin here and I'm a I'm a big boy alright I'm a big big boy they aren't little fingers there, there's a three finger margin on the top and on the bottom I've seen birthday cards less fucking <laughs> less justified than this font I hadn't even noticed the margin oh it's I mean it must have been a quick read it feels nasty it does doesn't it it like... feels like a book of collected like coupons or something yeah. like that but all of them are like get 10 pounds off when you spend a thousand pounds on pizza like, like <laughs> real, real, real bad ones like you know so let's dive into triple h the final dossier just briefly the the quality of the paper is there <laughs> is there another version of this book out there this I, can't be the only one that they released i looked high and low because this this cost me about 11 quid i think was, I, it, was it hard to find compared to other Bibliotech and No, this was readily available on Amazon, but I looked high and low to see if... Because this is definitely a second edition, and I wanted to see if I could find the original anywhere. And I couldn't find it like on any website for sale at all. I couldn't even find pictures of it. 
but I think it exists, and I don't want to talk about that right now. There okay. is a time later on where okay. we'll have to bring that, that up. That makes sense. Because this was not heavily promoted on TV, folks. If I recall, if anything, other than the fact that Triple H was talking about his body a lot during this period, this was a little banner at the bottom. By you the know, way, folks. By the way, because Triple yeah. H, obviously, the last outlaw, doesn't want to break cave. Yeah. It, it was not exactly the same. It's like if they'd done it seven years earlier, then you could have had Doc Hendricks like, "Hey, hey, man, look at this! Look at my muscles! I'm getting pretty big because I got Triple H making the game." I would want a giant door cover of this Triple H. <laughs> uh, I, I feel because Reddit made that such a meme that picture like three or four years ago. I wonder if it like for many people this image was saturated, but for me, honestly, and it cannot be stated enough. The picture of Triple H in the cover is by far one of the the silliest images it's so stupid. in all of wrestling ever. And I, I honestly, honestly mean this. I'm trying to say this without any hyperbole. I mean this sincerely. I think every photo in this book is almost of that caliber because they're all from the same photo shoot. Like the, the H face that you're referencing from Reddit, the one where he's like doing the leg press going, hey, like that's all from the same shoot where he's like going, nah, and he's the Gaston clean shaven H as well. That's, so. that silly little smirk. You know that Michael Scally did that on the test and Stephanie Oh, where wedding. he's like creeping through. Yeah. The little smirk. It always breaks me when I see that. Okay. Oh my God. Adam, I'm not going to survive this. We've got to get through this, Kevin. And you've told me to be quiet because we're in a library and I'm making all sorts of noises. <laughs> uh, you show me all the swear words in Oxford's English Dictionary. Okay. okay. First of all, the author of this book is not a physical therapist or a dietitian. Okay. <laughs> so we're, you know, Get that out of the way. The with. author of this book is not qualified to tell you about your blood type, eating for your blood type, or any of the benefits of eating <laughs> for your blood type. So we get a very small introduction from Triple H where he's laying out his intentions for this book. And he's like, when I'm writing about people are always asking me, how do you get so jacked up? Like, is he writing this in character? Is, is he... And then is he in heel mode here? He's like, no, this you know, is Triple H, the the man. All right, like, so this, Paul, the this is Paul Levesque talking to Adam LeBrook here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. When people ask me, like, how come you didn't do that CM Punk like trilogy of episodes? It's like because you, you would just hate us at the end. Because people would have stopped listening you to the podcast. Absolutely have hated. We us. actually, yeah, we got a lot of flack from season two where people, not actual proper flack, but a lot of aggressive messages being like, "Fuck you for making me hate the Rock." Season two was great, but I hate the Rock now. Fuck you. You better not talk any more mess about CM Punk's Honestly, great angle with Triple H. I like, know people love that promo in particular, okay. so it's for the best that we. Leave that. We'll leave that for now. But So this is Paul Levesque, though, talking to, to Adam Bibolo and Kevin Mann here, like... Uh, another disclaimer as well. This book isn't an exact blueprint on how to turn yourself into a 260-pound world heavyweight champion. Whoa there! So, you know, lower your expectations okay. a little bit. Like. It's not a blueprint, but it's a, a guide, at least? A roadmap? It's a guide to sort of learn Triple H's way of life. Kind of a, more of a fishbone of skeleton type situation. Chapter 1. The journey begins! So we talk about Triple H the first time he ever, like, went into a gym. Oh my god, that's <laughs> Straight right. off the bat. And I'll say, most of this book is a love letter to working out. He, lo he loves working out. He loves working out, and he can't put that over enough, like, what it does for him. And I think it's worth bearing in mind, I'm not sure if everyone knows this, I mean, I think it's, it's common enough knowledge, but we, we should say it. Triple H, unlike a lot of his click compatriots, unlike all of his click compatriots... 100% sober. Yeah. And this isn't like kind of a, an opt-in type of a thing in later life. This is like a Jerry Lawler I've never had. Way of life, like, never. He, never, and apparently his parents similarly strict goody two-shoes mm -hmm. and all that. So I'm assuming 
Triple H is advocating a straight-laced lifestyle from the get-go. Yes, definitely. This is like clean living and how to be a big man. Does he try to in any... Because that's where I think the issue with this book is going to be, is that you've got someone who is so removed from the norm. Mm. But how is he going to communicate? To, at least Ryback is kind of like, hey, I know it's hard. That's why yeah. I've copied and pasted all this off Wikipedia. But Triple H, I don't know if he... Knows that he's not normal. <laughs> no, I, I think he does a good job of explaining it to you in layman's terms and putting it over in a way that, like, anyone can take this advice and apply it to their life and their workout. Like, he does, you know, talk about starting off at the basics, starting off small. And he talks about, like, him starting off at the very beginning of his workout career, you know, never having been to the gym before. God, he was always fucking massive. You see him back when he was, like, Jean-Paul Levesque in, in WCW. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get through all of that. Yeah, like, big beef boy. I think, generally, he knows Ooh. that you're not going to pick up this book unless you at least... <laughs> the end, you yeah. you're going to get it back. You're not, you're not fucking reading this, pal. No, he knows you're not going to pick up this book unless you've at least got a passing interest. Like, you probably won't buy it unless you've got a gym membership, you know? I mean, like, that. in fairness, the cover is very much like telling you... Look at that. That's yeah. why I've been so embarrassed about reading this. It's because it's like, I don't mind the idea of someone seeing me look at an exercise <laughs> book or anything because I do go to the gym and I try and work out. But this is so obviously bodybuilding yeah, not absolutely. like fitness or anything this is like look at me a big muscle boy and I can't help but feel like when I've been out in public with my highlighter and my notes and this book someone's bound to have looked at me and been like bless him like, <laughs> it's not happening for you mate like, someone's making the game <laughs> yeah I think he knows that you're not going to buy this unless you definitely are interested in going to the gym it's not for like everyone to sort of get off the couch and get into because bodybuilding and fitness are they're different beasts really because yeah. you know I'll, I'll tell you right now big obsession of mine throughout the years uh of, of if you listen to cinema story you know, i'm a big Arnold schwarzenegger fan that, oh, yeah. that extends to pumping, pumping iron, iron. Yeah. which is for me is one of my favorite movies of all time i absolutely adore pumping iron I'm not saying like I've, I've, you know, my interest in bodybuilding has went much further than that, and its sequel, you know, Pumping Iron Two, <laughs> but Pumping Lead. <laughs> it's it's not just about like I want to be in good shape so I can be strong. For a lot of people, it is, but there is for some folks, it's about the symmetry, the like treating the body as like a machine that. Oh you yeah, know, it's like you sculpting. Work, like... Yeah, you add mass, you 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 tone it. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And I was wondering for Triple H then, it's not necessarily just like, I'm going to be in great shape, pup. It's mm -hmm. more of a, this is how you build a fucking jacked up freaky body. Yeah. And this book is how you build a jacked up freaky body, I oh, guess. This is so niche, Triple H. It's, mm, I think there is stuff in here that everyone can use and everyone can apply to their workouts. Okay. But that's not what really what we're here for. We're going to talk a little bit about that stuff, but really we are here for the biography, folks. Okay. This is Thy Kingdom Come made book form like so wait, it's, this is the journey begins where he's a young boy in muscle town he has to pick uh, biceps quads or pecs at the start as his muscle man this his journey starts at the age of 14 when 14. a new gym opens in his town and him and his buddy go and check it out and to quote triple h himself the first thing I saw when we walked in were these two jacked up guys training on the bench oh, press. So jacked up is being used as the verbiage here. Fabulous. These two jacked up guys training on the bench press. And I thought, holy shit, this is awesome. <laughs> so it's an immediate love at first sight kind of thing. I like, was pretty much told and sure that you can't be weight trading until you're at least 
17 or 16 or 17 because you're still because you're still apparently grow i'm not sure about all weights but i know Mm. that because you're still growing i know that we yeah that's true we had a weights room in my school but you were not allowed in there unless you were a certain age yeah because the pe teachers were like no it's actually bad for your you can get muscle problems or whatever Mm. i don't know if it's just because the gym wasn't big enough and they were just like oh no you'll die if you fucking work out no one gave a fuck about triple h 14 seems very young though to pump the iron they did like a free pass for a week kind of opening promotion so Triple H sign up for that and literally never stopped going to the gym ever since then. Oh, you can eat iron! <laughs> so he thought that the environment and the people there was like one of the coolest things he'd ever seen in real life and he just wanted to be completely immersed and like be a part of that world immediately. You know, like a lot of guys talk about that with wrestling. That was Triple H with the gym. It was like, as soon as he laid eyes on it, he was like, I want this. I want to be a part of this. Apparently still with Triple H, it was like, it's his whole fucking, like, it's his whole special zone and all that. That's how Seamus got in, you know, kind of got his foot in the door almost, was that he started, you know, working out with Triple H when Mm -hmm. he was uh, early on the main roster. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, you're you're part of that world, the the big workout world, the jacked up pumping iron world. Yeah. Triple H is going to be your bud. Literally, the gym is like nearly level pegging with wrestling I'd say in terms of his passions in life like it may even surpass it because it's so important to him and necessary surpass music that sounds almost like Metallica but not quite (laughs) I will say there is no music in the book there's no talk of like here's what I listen to in the gym like nothing like that sadly really I would have liked that face in the front cover with your headphones and a thumbs up uh, (laughs) yeah In the recording booth. There's no audiobook either, I should say. Damn! As great as that would be. I was going to say, with the Bibliotheque, have we ever had audiobooks other than... Uh, Ryback did, Ryback. Yeah. I think that was the only one. There yeah, might be a Bob Holly one. Like. There might be a Hardcore Truth. I don't know, though. Interesting. His parents were super supportive of him going to the gym. They would go to every Little League game of his. Like, apparently, just like he's got nothing but good things to say about his parents. They were there for everything he wanted when to do. When you said Little League, I just assumed there was like kind of your, your Little League, but for bodybuilding. Like, the 13-year-olds, like, yeah! Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, Jesus, no. So, the gym that he started going to regularly, the one where he spent all of his free time, is called Muscles in Motion. (laughs) And to use Triple H's terms, it looked on the surface a bit like a frou-frou kind of gym. A frou-frou? A frou-frou gym. A frou-frou. That's interesting terminology there. That's the kind of thing I think they would use to, like, refer to the aristocracy, like... Wait, isn't frou-frou, aren't those things, aren't those those petty and tubes? (laughs) Oh, those are froobs. Excuse me, I speak in jest. It was a froob froob gym. <laughs> <laughs> but it was quite the opposite. Everyone in there was very serious. No one determined. was frou frou. There was no frou frou. <laughs> you know what they say, Adam? Frew me once. Shame on me. Frew me twice. <laughs> Fiddle dee dee. <laughs> It was a very supportive environment, a very supportive crowd. Like, every time someone was, like, getting close to making their personal best on reps, everyone would gather around and cheer them on. Like, the gym crowd was very much a familial vibe, and Triple H was immediately welcomed into that. Even though he was a young boy, he stopped hanging around with his schoolmates so much and started just hanging out with the guys from the gym. I wonder if this is what put Triple H on that straight arrow path, was the muscles in motion from an early age. Oh, definitely, definitely, I think so. This, like, seems like a very formative, positive influence in his life, having this from, like, adolescence. It's very much the Pokemon Blue of of his time, essentially. Well, you think about, like, the age of 14 is probably, like, when it's at its easiest for you to go the wrong path in life and get mixed up with the wrong crowd. And I think it was just that he happened to go to a gym. And, you know, gyms generally are relatively wholesome environments if it's the right one. Yes. If it's, like, all goal-driven and not fucking roidy and shit. Like, and it sounds like this was a very nice 
healthy gym to be in. Like, do you wonder ever about Triple H of him taking taking stuff though? Like, no, there's no, there's there's all these things that have always come out. Just the only reason I say is because obviously he's fucking massive. Obviously, there's the whole thing in WWE that unless you're a full time performer, you're not subject to the usual drug testing, mm-hmm. and they they had to kind of were told to say in so many words, yes, that means that Undertaker, Lesnar, Goldberg, Triple H are immune yeah. to such... They, they can be on the gas for as long as they want. And I, I always just wondered, because like John Cena, I genuinely believe, when you see him fucking working out, that no, the guy is just a fucking genetic freak. Yeah. But I've always wondered with Triple H, because like, people assume, I think, that he does. But I've always, like, I know that he's such a fucking squeaky clean you know, kind of customer. And he's a gym freak. Yeah, like, I just, I don't know. It, 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 is there any sort of a chat about, like, does no, he disavow steroids? Like, no. I've ne- so he, he just avoids he it. He completely avoids that topic That's altogether. interesting, because, you know, most wrestlers, like, Jericho tried them once. Yeah. You know, Brett tried them. He did them for a while. Yeah, Bob you know, Holly they, admitted that he tried them. Yeah. for him. Like. And I, I, it's interesting. I think you'd think he would bring it up. Especially the say, era he came up in. Like, and particularly this period of Triple H, where, yeah. I don't know, this is when he tacked on masks to the point where he looked, like, overweight. Yeah. You look like a big parade flow around this it's, time. It's weird, because, like, I've heard it a lot. I've heard that accusation thrown at him a lot, which makes me think there must be some thesis, like, there must be some grounds for it if it's been thrown at him that many times. I mean, just because you're not liable to be tested for it doesn't mean that it you're doesn't. going to do it. it that, that, is a, that is a jump. And the folks who've said that people like CM Punk and all that, everyone who said it has had, generally speaking, a bit of an axe to grind with the company. Not, you know, and I'm agreeing with them to grind, grind that axe. Yeah. It's just very interesting that I would have thought that there would be a bit, like, kind of... Let's set the record straight. Yeah, like. it, he, there's no sort of a philosophy about being clean or anything like that. And not really, no. That's I mean, very intriguing. He talks about clean nutrition and whatnot, but he doesn't go into steroids and all that, that kind of thing. That is very interesting. You'd mm. think he'd mention that. Mm. You know, Arnie chats about that shit all the time in, in, uh, in, in his muscle book. Arnie wasn't gearing up to become the COO of WWE at the time, no, though. That's like, true. You know, he's probably trying to keep his, his nose as clean as he can right now. Interesting like, stuff. Because I know China took a lot of stuff. She did, yeah. And, but I, I think know. if Triple H was to release, like, not a tell-all, but a bit more of an honest biography at this point in time, it might have been shooting himself in the foot a little bit. So like, we have to wait for Thy Kingdom Come Part 2, I guess. Like, yeah, one day down the line. Chronicles of an ass kicker. <laughs> the top dog at this gym is a guy called Brian Zagorites, and one night, basically, Hunter stays behind and, like, Brian says to Hunter one night, you can stay behind and work out with me if you want, and Hunter's like, whoa, I get to work out with the big guy. And he, like, he matched him set for set, and he was like, even though I didn't try and keep up with his weights, every set he did, I was there doing the same reps as him. And after that day, I proved I could hang. He can hang and clang. And bang. He was welcomed into the crowd after that point onwards. So that was like, kind of the ceremonial clanging and banging. He was, that were kind of... Yeah, he was always part of the gym family, but then he was really welcomed into the inner circle. Oh, like the Elite Four. Like, yeah, you know. the clique of the gym. Like <laughs> Every gym's got to have a clique. Looking back on it, I think I was like the gym mascot. I would work my way in with their sets, and I didn't care what they were training. Sometimes I'd be putting out so much effort that after a set, I would go and puke. And then I'd come back and I'd say, is it my turn again? Okay, cool. Puke, you say? Yeah, go and throw up. Which All is right. quite a common thing I've heard in the gym. Like, Oh, some of those pictures. Uh, like, you've got like, to... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my God, Triple H. His parents are a little bit concerned with how much time he's spending with all these older men at the gym. And he's like, scared of how big and muscular he is. <laughs> Come, please, please. <laughs> I want more hummus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
We tried to ground him, but he's simply too jacked. <laughs> Overpowered. <laughs> he's too cut up. We don't know what to do. His parents are a little concerned about how much time he's spending with these men at the gym, but they come that to the gym. That is so fucking weird, isn't it? It like, is. It is weird. But they, the, the parents come to the gym and they meet everyone and they check them out and they're convinced that they're all nice people. And then they like, do the reps with them and they could hang. Like, <laughs> then my dad would get sick and do it again. Like, you know what? There, there is there is some badassery. I, I, you know, I'm making fun here, but you know, sometimes when you hear stories of people lifting up big heavy weights, like when John Cena picked up that like, 700 pound weight yeah. and everyone went, oh, and he did it. It's a great story in Bret Hart's book about Jim Neidhart having received bad news about a court case, coming into the gym, putting on his sunglasses, picking up a 500-pound weight, and then slamming it down and storming out. <laughs> I, li- I like the idea of weightlifting as a way of dealing with your problems, like, you know, I- emotional regulation. Yeah! Yeah, as, as much as we're making fun here, this genuinely is quite wholesome, this crowd. Like, they are all encouraging each other to reach their goals, and it sounds like it's a very nice, healthy environment. Oh, yeah, and honestly, as someone who habitually didn't work out for pretty much his entire life, yeah, and as someone who habitually does work out in the last few years... It's definitely a positive thing. Like, that's it, and know. I feel like, yeah, that's happened to both of us. We both discovered the joy of working out in our late 20s. But I feel like with Triple H, it's definitely that more of the fact that... like I know you work out with Joanna sometimes, I work out with my partner, but he's talking about a whole community, like a whole circle of friends. I, I can't see that, personally. That seems a bit, like, next level. I can't oh, relate. It does like, not appeal to me in yeah. the slightest, but I'm saying, like, imagine if your entire friendship group and your sort of, like, close family was in the gym with you cheering you on like. yeah but my entire friendship group means that i got 151 pokemon in my <laughs> pokedex so we all got goals we were all doing things when we were 14 you know i'm just saying maybe next time we do a podcast recording we do it in the gym yeah like, maybe see, see how much more wholesome here's a clanging is. in the background like a fucking aura video <laughs> <laughs> so after three years of hitting the gym and clanging and banging he's pretty jacked up and now he's entering local regional bodybuilding contests. Jesus. And he won the Teen Mr. New Hampshire. Teen Mr. New Hampshire. Oh, there he my. Is. That's, looks, doesn't it look Sorry, like... Sorry, do I get put on a list for seeing that now? Fucking... <laughs> you showing me that, like... <laughs> yeah, you keep your fucking dirty buck to yourself, all right? <laughs> Don't implicate me in this, yeah? It's a nice fucking wholesome family podcast, yeah? I get it, man. All right? <laughs> So he's becoming successful at local amateur bodybuilding, but his dreams are already to end up in the WWF. So is he already, like, as he said at this point, like that he's already got the wrestling bug, like that bodybuilding is means interesting, it's not the other way around or anything. Yeah, bodybuilding was a hobby at this point in time. Like, I don't think he ever intended to get into bodybuilding. It was just that he went to the gym and he was like, holy shit, this is cool, and he became part of it. But wrestling was always his main passion. He was right. a complete nut for watching He, he was a fan like, for watching, because that Cena kind of has the other way. He was like, Tried to be bodybuilder, and then it's like, why don't you just become a wrestler? Instead, yeah. And that, that happened to Ultimate Warrior. It's happened to a lot of people. Sting as well, where it's like, they're working out, and someone who's a wrestler is working out there says, hey, give this a whirl. Mm-hmm. But Triple H, a lifelong fan, you say? According to this book. Very good. <laughs> I mean, everything I say from this point onwards, let's just assume it's got the prefix, according to this book. Okay, right. Because yeah, you yeah. never know, Triple H might have wanted to be a bodybuilder. He could easily have retconned his history here. I, like. I remember this is like 2003 was when like the, the, the backstory of Triple H who always used to bury everyone from WCW. Then it was like, I'm the greatest WCW fan of all. I love Ric Flair and Harley Race. It's like, mm-hmm. d- d- I, I'm not saying that I 
genuinely think he lied about it, but no. it's, it's just, you know, interesting he changed his tune because he used to bury those folks quite a bit back in yeah. the Attitude Era. I just feel like after the Hardcore Truth and the Hardy Boys, we were both kind of like, oh, these are quite honest takes from these books. Mm-hmm. And we've got to remember, you know, just remember The Rock says, it's not always going to be an actual telling of the events. This could be a retcon, you know, him Are, are you telling story. me what is primarily a workout book may not be the most truthful autobiography of Triple H? <laughs> Cancel the damn podcast. Oh my God. So he was never the kind of fan that made his own belt. I don't know why he goes out of his way to say that. Like I don't know if he's having a dig at someone else there. But he's like, See, I never, yeah. I would never walk around with a belt made of tin foil. I, like. I never made it. I mean, we only we had a toy belt. Yeah, same. For oh no, sorry, the only toy belt I ever had was one that we had when I lived with you. Oh, that very toy belt that's up yeah, there that's right up now. There. <laughs> that was our two K championship. Oh right, okay. Yeah, I never had a. a you toy didn't have toy one of those as a kid. No, I want. Oh, I wa- Kevin, I wanted a European championship. Oh, I, Kevin, you, know, I just wanted you only the, wanted the European. I was it. Come on, Vince. You know, maybe we give me the European belt. I, I know how you feel about Irish superstars. I know my place. Just like, give, just give me the European. I'll give you a great main event on Heat. Like, you know, I'll put Bob Holly over. <laughs> Cynical little boy. I'll take the Falcon Arrow. <laughs> But you would subscribe to all the wrestling magazines, and he said he'd spend all of his Saturdays just watching wrestling nonstop. He was like crazy about it, and that's where he wanted to end up. He had no interest in competitive sports or anything like that because he knew that for any competitive sport like baseball or football, he would probably have to lose size to be able to play better. Oh, that's and he was true. all about mass, so wrestling was the way to go. Like interesting. I mean, this is what eighties he's talking about around here now. Late eighties would be. Uh, you know, I hadn't actually considered that because he never—he he never timestamps anything. Yeah, very interesting. I would have to be the early to middle age. He'd be like seventeen or eighteen at yeah. this point in time. Then, yeah, talks about how later on. This is just a little aside here about how he doesn't care about sports. Later on, when he was in WWE backstage, there was a, an NFL star there. Like Big a, deal. <laughs> there you go. That's the anecdote. Really? He's like, uh, I don't know who that is. Like, and I felt kind of bad that I didn't know who he was because I get that he's a big deal and I respect that, but. Uh, no, I'm just not a football kind of guy. Oh, wow. Big shot. Triple H just, over here. You know, you cut him and he bleeds wrestling, mate. That's what he's getting at. Hey, you know what? We don't recognize when the Oakland Raiders take up the front row of SmackDown. But we mention it and we accept that they're big stars, you know? Look, the way he says it, Kevin. To this day, I don't care much about anything other than pro wrestling. It's not that I don't respect the athletes for being able to do what they do. I'm just not interested in it. I can't hit a golf ball worth shit. Oh, well, that's true, you know. And also completely exposes the Hunter Hearst Helmsley gimmick where I'm sure there are several photo shoots of him, like, at the range. Doing polo and stuff as well, I'm pretty sure. Load of shit, mate. Load of fucking shit. Respect the business, Triple H. One day he works out with a guy called Ted RCD, who used to be a wrestler. Oh, I know Ted. Yeah, Ted RCD. He yeah. he had like a world's strongest man type gimmick. Oh, really? Ted RCD. He was like legitimate, like world's strongest man type guy. Literally, fucking Wario body on him, <laughs> as wide as he was deep, like a big fucking horse okay. of a dude. Proper muscle, like pulling like an F eighteen Harrier jet. Yeah, or something with on his chain. Like. <laughs> yeah. Those things are so fucking funny to me. You know, there's like the world's strongest man, like finals is in Manchester this year. What? Yeah, I saw an ad for it the other day, and there's like a guy like literally was like with his chain going. Think of the grunts, Kevin. I kind of want to go. Oh like. my god, yeah, me too. Let's look into it. Let's look into See it. a man wrestling a truck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one day he works out with Ted RCD at the gym and he mentions that he used to be a wrestler and he puts Triple H in touch with Killer Kowalski. Ah, Killer Kowalski who trained Triple H, mm-hmm. if I believe. He was his protege. Chapter 2, Getting Down to Basics. 
So this is where we're getting the pattern now, basically. We'll have biography chapter, workout chapter, biography chapter, workout okay. chapter. So now we're getting down to the basics of working out. So that was the basics of the biography. This is now the basics of working out. Yeah, your building blocks. And of course, the most fundamental building block is the opening of chapter two. I'm not Ron Simmons. <laughs> and neither are you. Ron Simmons is a genetic freak. Ron's reading this book like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> damn. It's the same damn thing. <laughs> Suckers like you don't think that I will read your book. And I am. All, all he's saying is that he's never seen Ron in the gym. He's never seen Ron lift Really? A, he said he doesn't think he works out much. Never seen him lift a weight. Like, but he's fucking caught up to fuck. <laughs> he's a genetic freak, apparently. Well, how about that? But the rest of us, we got to get clanging and banging, Kevin. The rest of us non-Ron Simmons, folks. So, let's... I don't want to go through every single workout chapter because okay. it's going to be things like legs, triceps, like reps. Yeah, we're not going to do the right back going in depth on it all. We're just going to, I'll get all the bodybuilding stuff out of the way with here. His basic stuff here is that he's got, got five core improvements in your life that you'll see. I, I'm holding up six there. So you are, you are. He's got five core improvements you'll see in your life as a result of these bodybuilding goals. Okay. And that is one, increased strength. Yeah. Improved self confidence, injury prevention. Self-discipline. Oh, that is such a fucking load of shit, injury prevention. Yeah, what are you going to well, All that, that muscle you tacked on for Saudi Arabia, that fucking prevented an injury. That, that didn't cause several injuries, like... Injury immune, this guy. Yeah, right? seriously. Self-discipline. And finally, sex. Brackets. Trust me, you'll have a better shot with the ladies if you're in shape. Wow. So, yeah. wait, is he saying you'll have more opportunities for sex, or the average quality of sex will improve? He's saying better shot with the ladies, like you'll, you'll get more sex as ladies. a result of being in shape. Serial bachelor, triple H here. Can you tell me about picking up the ladies? Cool. So, basic ideas. The gym is for everybody. You know, it's not just... It's okay to go in there and feel out of place and intimidated, but no one's judging you. People are happy to help you. I don't know, that group of 10 to 12 fucking muscle friends who are all in the inner circle together... Getting sick in between big reps. I might find that a little bit intimidating, Adam. Maybe I think that you might be a little bit more for them than me. Just a little Scary. bit more. Yeah, I'm just over there going, yeah, well, you may be jacking all of your hard weights. I'm jacking it down because I'm going to do touchdown. Yeah. He does four days a week in the gym. Ideally, he would do five, but he has got a busy schedule and he's wrestling most days. So Now, we know that Steph and Triple H have a... Have you heard about their schedule they do now? Oh, it's fucking insane, yeah. isn't it? They work, like, the kids go to bed at, like, you know, 10 or whatever it is, and then they, they work out, like, 11 till 2 in the morning yeah. or something with a personal training. And, they and sleep for three sleep, hours. Sleep for three hours, you know. <laughs> Another 20 minutes, I'm off to the plant, fresh as the daisy, like, oh, you know. <laughs> Just out at NXT. <laughs> his eating schedule we'll get into that in more depth later on Kevin you've got to stop looking at these pictures dude honestly man Kevin. is it the dumbbell oh press he's doing there? there the dumbbell is. press where he's literally going yeah. <laughs> the goblin noise oh my I'm god gonna, there's so I'm just gonna flip past all this these this is only page one 24! Skip over those there so you can't see them. Cover up the nasty pages. His eating schedule is to eat every two to three hours. You want to have between five and six meals a day. Five and six meals? Yes. You need a lot of fuel in the tank, Kevin. And is he telling us what type of things to be eating now? We'll get into that more in depth later on, but you want basic foods. Things like meat, fish, potatoes, rice, veg... No flavour or anything any, like any that. Any eggs just... there, big man? Yeah, you can have eggs. Yeah? We'll, get, we'll get more in-depth in the food later on. I'm going to have to just turn that away. This is so difficult. I need like a music stand with the book on it so you can't see because every page 
He looks like Vacman there. He looks so... The state of it. so wide. The really hard thing about this is that there's a mixture of two photo sets. There's one where he's got the remnants of the goatee, which is obviously done from around after the time of his injury. Yeah. And he looks mad serious. And then there's the ones without the goatee, where he's a different colour, and he's like... (laughs) He's so fucking weird looking. Oh, my God. Okay. We'll have to uh, honestly. We'll have to just take a load of these pictures and put them on Patreon. Yeah. So I think it's not fair that these no, guys. Yeah, ev- everyone, look, all you folks, need to be able to see this too. This like. fucking hideous shit. Like just to sum up some of the bodybuilding stuff, he has got a lot of a sort of. He lays out a basic schedule and a basic regimen. That's like this is a good starting point if you want to make the game. And I've been talking about this a lot with you and Joanna and yeah. Alice, my life partner, all the people that are close and dear to me, and you know would miss me if anything were to happen. Making sure that I've got everyone's blessing to consider this. Next week, Kevin, I'm going to make the game. You're going to make the game? I'm going to make the game. I'm going to record a little video diary. I was thinking of doing it before we sat down and recorded this and we could talk about it. but no, Yeah, I, I was worried because I went away on holiday for a week. Mm-hmm. And I was worried when I came back that, you know, the ass kicker would be back instead. Oh, yeah, because I told you that I was going to do it while you were away. But then plans changed and I was not peak Gaston Adam I as I previously you. mentioned. But yeah, next week, Kevin, as in when we're recording this now, I'm going to go and I'm going to make the game in the gym and I'm going to do a little video diary. I'm going to put it on Patreon for everyone to okay. track along, see how I get on with it. And what that's basically going to entail is alternating days. So four days in the gym with a day off in between. So like Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday off, Thursday and Friday. Okay. And it's just a lot of a lot of weightlifting. <laughs> a lot of weightlifting. How, how, how is it like you're... you're... Best shape of your life at the moment, right? Yeah, I'd More say I probably am. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I've been going to the gym regularly how, for a few how, months. How confident are you in taking on the game's routine here? I've had a little trial. I, I mean, did, you're, I did you're a not very Ron Simmons, trial. Adam. I I'm mean, not. You're not Ron Simmons. And neither are you. Like, <laughs> I had a little go last week in the gym. I had a little try of some of these exercises, because a lot of these I haven't tried myself before. And it's it's going to be heavy going because like I do a lot of this stuff already, but not in the quantity that Triple H is doing. Right, I see. And tell me now, with regards to this, when you're going to be making the game, does that extend to the food that you're going to put into your body as well? Are you going yep. to eat a lot? You are. You're going to eat a lot well, of mass. Well, I don't want to. We'll explain with the the meal plan later on because okay. he has a very clear meal plan that he sticks to. Eat all my favorite meals. And if I want to make the game truly, I will have to follow that meal plan. Okay. If I do that every day when I'm going to the gym, I won't make it to the next SmackDown crawl. Like that is simply the case. I will. You have too much food. End yeah. up in hospital. Like you're, genuinely. You're on a while, like I imagine a two to three meal day kind of guy at the moment. <laughs> yeah, call me old fashioned. I, I don't want to like, yeah, doubling your meal number intake. It might be a bit much. Like I'm going to do the Triple H diet for one day and one day only. Okay. And I'm going to do the workout plan for a week. It's your treat day, like in the Butterfield diet plan. Exactly. <laughs> Start eating everything. Burn, 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 burn. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll get a video on Patreon of me eating that as well. It's going to be hideous. <laughs> wow. What what great content this is going to be. I can't wait. This is fabulous. Have you got, like, pieces of footage? Have you got, like, you know, a hammer for people to check? You know, am I, am I, have you got a hammer for people to check? Do you want me to play the role of X-Pac or Road Dog? Like, any cheese you want to set for a rat? Like... <laughs> You know, I, mean, I can pretend to beat you up if you want. This is all well and good, Kevin, but I'm not the game. Like, oh, I see. I can't ask any of these things of you because that ain't me. Like, you need to speak to the Adam in two weeks' time. Like, the dark sided Gaston guy. Adam. Yeah. 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 So, we'll see how we get on with that. I've got the workout. Whoa! I, this is my workout regime. This is like my, my homework that I've got set for me here. 
So it's four days. On Monday is... What's Monday now? Is that the heavyweights? Heavyweights, chest, shoulder, and tries. Right. You got incline bench presses. Two to four times six to ten reps. Basically six different workouts on the heavy day for the chest. You alternate it between... So on the heavy days, you do less reps with way heavier weights. On the light days, you do more reps with less weight. But honestly, I've never done any exercise in this quantity before to this length. Jeez, the only curls I've had are cheese curls. What's this all about? Cheese again. Barbell curl. And you got rules and guidelines here. You have to take a notebook into your gym and keep track. You have to have a special a special pause after failure. Oh, yeah. One of Triple H's advanced tips from later on in the book is to sort of push yourself to failure and then drop the weight down and keep doing that until you've dropped the weight all the way, essentially. So, like, when it is a failure, do you get, like, a game over screen with a shadow of, of, of Triple H going, it's, <laughs> it's literally like, imagine you're lifting 50 kilos on the bench press. Yeah, easy, mate. Yeah. You do eight reps, and on the ninth one, you're like... <laughs> And you literally can't, you fail. So then you drop down to like 45 kilos and then go again until you fail, then drop down to 40 kilos. It's literally just exhausting your muscles as much as possible to increase growth. So you have to warm up with 10 minutes of cardio, focus your mind on contracting with every rep. Uh, Now you're looking ahead at the advanced tips here, I'm sorry, I thought I would just have a scan through The the groundwork has not been laid. You won't understand what focusing your mind means until you've done the the basic foundation course. Are you basically saying that's, you're basically saying that's too much, kind of, like, oh, it's too much, I get too big too quick. It'd be like Bane getting the the juice, like... Turned all the way up. Yeah. Yeah, You've got to start off small. Like, we're still talking about the basics here. We'll probably get into more little bits and pieces later on, but as I say, I don't want to get too bogged down in the bodybuilding chat. That's probably the bulk of it out of the way. It's it's good to know, and we we await eagerly, if you're listening to this, you know, while afterwards we'll make sure that, you know, there's a link here, the Bibliotech, it'll be tagged on, on Patreon, so you can check out Adam's update video as he makes the game. As I become the game. Chapter three, getting in the ring. So Ted RCD keeps insisting that Triple H doesn't want to get in the business. He's like, oh no, kid, you don't. You don't want none of this. You don't want to stay away. But Triple H, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease eventually. At this time as well, Muscles in Motion has sadly closed down. And the whole gang have all moved over to Gold's Gym together, which is okay. And Triple H eventually becomes the manager there. He starts working there and he's like got a really decent full-time job, really enjoys it. Jeez, that's so bad. So he's not, did he go to university then, Triple H, I'm assuming? No, not by this. I don't think he mentions college or anything like How that. Like, this? it's just straight up working in the gym. He got a PhD in fucking jacking it down, mate. <laughs> So he works Monday to Friday at Gold's Gym in Nashua, and he would end up driving an hour away to Kowalski's gym, which isn't too bad. Like, when you think about some of the things that Bob Holly and Mick Foley had to yeah, go through. Yeah, and hours. It's pretty nice. It's fairly doable, It's convenient, yeah. like. Yeah. So he does get accepted to Kowalski's gym, and he goes in there. This is a little bit of an extract from his first day. A few minutes after I arrived, I was introduced to another one of Walter's tests. A drill he called the hard way in. Basically, he made every guy... (laughs) (laughs) Basically, he would get four pieces of footage. (laughs) Do you think that Kowalski taught him all of this? Like, then that's when you... That's when you get the rat. When you give him the cheese, boom. Fourth piece of footage on the screen there. And that's when you should be hitting... Your 20th minute of your promo. Do it again, okay? Once more. Basically, he made every guy stand just on the outside of the ring, hold on to the top rope, then flip themselves up and over to land on the inside of the ring, flat on their backs. Okay, so kind of like the when you're wanting the tag and someone goes over, like The Rock would always do it. He'd pull you, you over the yeah, rope. Yeah, and you flip and take a bump at the okay, same time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Walter came across like the least sympathetic teacher on the face of the earth. These poor guys were killing themselves, landing on their heads so hard they could barely get up off the mat. Ah. And he was screaming at them the whole time. You guys are shit! You're pathetic! Get out of my school! He was very harsh, but I know he was just trying to toughen them up. Walter looked over at me and told me to do the move. I explained that I'd never even been in a ring before, but he didn't care. As I took hold of the rope... This is so dangerous. As I took hold of the top rope, I figured I was about to kill myself. I was wrong. I nailed it dead on. <laughs> the ass kicker is back. Oh, the fucking dead-eye Triple H there. Put it into slow motion. Hit it perfectly. Wouldn't you know it, Kevin? Wow, kids, kids are natural. Kids are natural. Apologize to my father. And uh, here's a picture of young boy Triple H and Killer Kowalski. With the Ric Flairiest haircut of Fuck all off, he looks like Jimmy Savile there. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> hell. It's exactly like him. Oh no. Wow. He said he felt comfortable straight away and he knew that this was definitely right for him and that he was making a right choice of getting into the wrestling career path. He tra- Kowal- Kowalski, by the way, he's like one of the most highly regarded trainers of, yeah. of the time. Serious seal of approval when yeah. you've been trained by Kowalski. And that was one of the biggest boons to Triple H's career early was the fact that, you know, he was known as Kowalski's, like, protege or his, like, his kind of his star pupil, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, I, he, like, I Brett in his book, he mentions that as soon as, you know, Triple H shows up, it's like, oh, he's Kowalski's top guy, he'll be good. Yeah. You know, everyone kind of... No doubt about it. Yeah, like... he, he had that. Even people who didn't like him personally knew that he did have... The pedigree. Oh, Come on now. Oh, that's enough of that. We have fun on the bibliotheque. So they would train four nights a week. Kowalski apparently was very supportive, believed in Triple H a lot. Triple H had aspirations of reaching the very top, and he felt like, if I don't feel like I'm on the path to the top within a few years, I'm just going to quit wrestling. Like, I want to feel like I'm on my journey to the very top of the industry. No, I was like, oh, I didn't become a star in the right amount of time. I'll stop forever then. Mm, that know? never really happens, does it? Very rarely happens. I'm sure Zack Ryder told himself that he wanted to be a star or nothing else, like the top guy or nothing less. And, you know, it's hard. I'm sure it's a hard lifestyle and a hard paycheck to give up when you're actually there. Yeah, right? exactly. And also, as a WWE, if I like the requisite event, don't worry, Zack, we'll give you one cube of sugar every 10 yeah. years. And also, Triple H is a guy writing this book that has already been to the top and back. So it's yeah. very easy to say that that was your goal all along all he can do then is kind of make like create levels for himself of of what to make even more of a top guy like you know the last 10 years of Triple H's career have been very strange redefining of what more things top guys can do I guess it's like when you reach the maximum rank in Call of Duty and then you prestige by resetting it over and then starting all over again, but now you've got a star next to your name. And yeah, the new Batista can't shoot each other in the, in the match, just shooting all over them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it keeps missing, like. I fucking love that match. <laughs> Fucking motherfucker. He starts working indies on the weekend as well, as well as working full-time at Gold's Gym. What a weird thing to think of. Triple H. H. I know he trained with, like, Perry Saturn as well was in his group. Really? Yeah, I know. What And, like, that's a pretty fucking stellar cast of characters. Honestly, no mention of that in here, I'm afraid. But, yeah, fucking hell. Perry Saturn, the same, like, graduating from the same class as Triple H. Yeah. Anyone else you know of in that same As far group? as I know, that's the only one that I know of. But I knew that that, that was like kind of... I, there was some book I read where someone was like, there was an indie show with people from Kowalski School. Mm. And it was like a young Triple H and Perry Saturn was there. And I was like, God damn, that's a... I, it, you know, 2003 or four, like right after Perry left under the worst yeah, terms possible. he ain't possible. getting mentioned, He ain't getting mentioned, like, yeah. So he's working indies on the weekend. But he says, in fact, I never stopped working at Goals until I got hired by WCW. I think that showing that this level of responsibility went a long way towards gaining my parents' support, especially my mother's. When I first told her I was going to wrestling school, she was concerned that it wasn't a stable job. 
By my never giving up my day job the entire time I was working the independent scene in the Northeast, she saw that I wasn't just dropping everything I had to follow some dream that may or may not work out. So again, the kind of Bob Holly approach of like, yes, I want this so bad, more than anything to be a wrestler, but I'm not an idiot. I'm keeping my job. It takes more than dreams and hope and heart and all that jazz. Yeah. Be fucking smart. Have an actual backup plan. So while he's training, Triple H starts working for Kowalski's Fed, the International Wrestling Federation. Kowalski wants him to come on a South American tour and they need to get him a passport and get him to come up with a gimmick really fast because like, you need a character now. We're going to advertise you on the posters. So who are you going to be? He said, we also need to figure out a name for you today. I'm going to get posters printed up to advertise down here and I want you on them. His first suggestion was that I carry on the legacy of a guy who just left the IWF. Jake Scream. Jake Scream. You ever heard of Jake Scream? No. His (laughs) his whole gimmick was that he'd scream the entire match. He'd wrestle like everyone else, but scream while he was doing it. Walter liked the gimmick so much that he wanted me to take on a different first name and work as Jake Scream's cousin to carry on the tradition. Amazing. Can you imagine Triple H (laughs) doing like a Chuck (laughs) Taylor? (laughs) I'm in my zone. Eventually, the gimmick they land on is Terrorizer. Terrorizer, of course. Yeah. Is it Terrorizer or Terrorizing? Ter- it's, it's Terrorizer. I swore it was Terrorizing. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. They land on Terrorizer, and it sticks, but the South America tour never even happens. Apparently, Kowalski was like, quite commonly would have these big aspirations and say, oh, we're going to go and do this, and then plans would fall through. Sorry, I feel really stupid right now because I've always known that he had to terrorize or terrorizing, but I always thought it was like, oh, yeah, like terraforming, not like a terrorizer. <laughs> you know, somebody terrorizes you. <laughs> you thought terror. Terraforming. <laughs> Come on, Cohagen, give these people air. <laughs> <laughs> but he talks that they he, he talks to Kowalski, but he doesn't like terrorizer. He thinks it's lame and hokey, and it's they such a shit name. Eventually, terror compromise on terrorizing. That's even worse. Well, yeah, because now it's gone from the word terror to terra, like you said, like terraforming. terraforming like, yeah, and it's got the the Z in rising oh, as well. It's so lame. Like Terry rising. Or something like no. at least. Oh no! Just drop the whole but idea. But Terra's not a fucking first name. Terra, Terra, Terra. Please, Mister Rising's my father. I'm Terra, like. But he thought it was the best he could come up with with what he was given. He debuts a few weeks later in Vermont, and he says the match wasn't horrible considering it was his first ever match. Turns out I'm a natural. He was promised fifty dollars, and he got twenty-five. Welcome to the wrestling industry, kid. Well, that's more than most get in their Honestly, first Honestly, yeah, still 25 is like, compared to Matt and Jeff wrestling for fucking chewing gum and tobacco or whatever. <laughs> Pine needles or whatever the fuck it was they wrestled for. After six months of improving, Terror Rising becomes IWF's champion and the top guy of the, the Federation. God, it's a long road to the top in the IWF. Six months. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, already, like, you can see that whatever company he's in, he just goes straight to the top, it would seem. I mean, it seems like it was a poison chalice. I mean, no one could keep that territory going after Ken's scream or whatever the fuck it was. No one could keep that territory going. Hey! (laughs) I think the humor level's rising up in here, Kevin. He enjoyed working as a top guy, but it actually cost him money because there was a lot more touring involved and a lot more traveling, a lot more expenses, and the money still wasn't great, so he actually made a loss on being the top guy in the company. Ah, that kind of sucks. (laughs) Fucking stinks, doesn't it? Yeah, God, at least he wasn't screaming himself silly as well, like, all the sore throats on top of the money woes. After a couple of months of doing this, he feels like he's outgrown the company quite quickly and he's ready to move on. 
One night he meets Pat Patterson after a show that he's doing and Pat basically tells him, yeah, you should stick with this. You're going to be somebody one day. Keep going. We'll see you somewhere down the road one day. He doesn't feel ready for WWF yet. He needs like a nice middle ground, he says. Something before because he's not quite well-rounded enough to go straight to the Fed. So he needs something in the meantime. He goes out and gets some new pics taken of him, gets a new tape put together and he tries chopping himself around. Apparently he gets immediate offers from Memphis and Japan. Like, straight away, they wanted him. Like, can you imagine Triple H in Memphis? In Memphis. Wouldn't that be great with Jerry Lawler? Get like... the long sand booms and the hair slick back come to your time. The ass kicker's back come to I'm the honky honk hand. <laughs> but again, with Japan, it would have lost him money to go out there and do all that travelling, all the expenses. God, Triple like, H in Japan, I can't imagine it. I don't think he would have liked that. No. I think that is far away from the squeaky clean bodybuilding wrestling that he likes. The sort of the... The showboating and muscles is what he likes Your in chest wrestling. is too big, they would have beaten it raw. Honestly, yeah, they would have slapped it clean off you, mate. All this time, while he's working for IWF and everything, he is still managing that Gold's Gym. He hasn't left that job yet. And he met through his management position there a consulting firm that was apparently the same consulting firm that worked with Ric Flair. Like, they've done a lot of work with him and WCW in well, the past. Well, consulting in what capacity? Like, for, like, what, advertising and stuff like that? Or... It was for their sales department. And, oh, apparently they were the same consulting team that Ric Flair used for the Gold's Gym that he owned. Oh, I see. So he had a gym of his own. Right, right. They knew Ric Flair through very similar dealings, basically. And so he starts working with this consulting firm, and they invite him to a seminar, which he goes along to, because, you know, at this point in time, he's thinking, if this wrestling thing doesn't work out... need a shoot job, like... Well, he's, he's saying, like, you know, before he mentioned if he's not a top guy in a few years, he wants out he would be more than happy to run a gym for the rest of his life and make a career of, like, franchising gyms yeah, and yeah. becoming a magnate of that, like... Which I could see him doing, to be fair. Like, he seems, like, that kind of driven. That he he loves muscles. Work. He loves muscles and money, baby. So he gets invited to this seminar, and he meets Ric Flair when he's there. Apparently, it's a very typical Ric Flair interaction. Yeah, how you doing? It's good to see you, kid. Like, nothing much from him. Says that, you know, he'd like to get an opportunity at WCW. But Flair's like, yeah, great, that's cool. I'll pass it along. But he also meets Chip Burnham, who is apparently a regional ticket salesman for WCW. And he says that he will pass on Triple H's stuff for sure. Now, that's interesting there where you say, like, he's like, oh, I'm, I knew I wasn't ready for the Fed, so I needed kind of somewhere soft to get into it. I know. WCW is not the middle ground. I can't, like. But I kind of feel like it's like, you know what, if they wanted you in WWF or WCW, you'd be fucking jump at the opportunity. This idea, like, this kind of subtle barrier. I didn't barrier, want to go to WWF, yeah. Yeah, like, like the subtle fucking barrier, like, WCW was very much like the proving ground. Not w- true. I mean, I don't, yeah, particularly at the time when he was getting in, you, you know, which was the early 90s or the late 80s where you know you could make an argument that you know in, in certain fans eyes anyway certainly if you are serious about the wrestling aspect of it that WCW was the place to go the place to go in America mm-hmm. for the most prestigious wrestling wrestling yeah because I mean it was a bit cartoony over the WWF at the time which you wouldn't have thought was his or Killer Kowalski's cup of tea just a little subtle reframing of history there yeah. very interesting that yeah. yeah we'll get that a lot with WCW I didn't want to work in WCW they forced me to <laughs> so a few weeks after meeting this fellow at the seminar he gets a call from Bob Dew the then president of WCW God, he, uh, what a corporate way to get in though like he's talking to like, just fucking office people he talks to right. a regional ticket salesman yeah right he passes on his stuff and then he gets a phone call from the president of WCW yeah this like, is such a non it's a far cry from like I met Doc Hendricks and then JR gave me a phone call like, or this is Jim very Cornette corporate. or Jim Ross told fucking Ric Flair or Dusty Rhodes or whoever was the booker to give me a shot. Or yeah. my favourite one from Mick Foley, I showed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yeah, let's use him. 
So Bob Dew passes the details on to uh, Eric Bischoff, who is currently like taking over the company. So this has got to be like 93, 94 at this point then, yeah. Yeah, and he phones Triple H and is apparently very shitty with him on the phone. Like, oh, who are you? Who, who promised you this? Like, oh, okay, we'll see if we can do something for you. But he's got, I mean, in fairness, Jim, other than Kowalski, sorry, well, go, okay. whoa, whoa. Finish your point before I turn this next page. You're getting caught up on all these pictures. <laughs> Fucking hell. Honestly. <laughs> What were you saying? <laughs> it's, it's too late now. There, okay, there's your fucking picture. There he is, Biff Tannen. Like, look at him. Look at that hair. Look at that body. Have you seen the episode of the Batman animated series where Clayface has to get like pressed into like a special human <laughs> shape, in like a mold? Yeah, <laughs> that's what he looks like. I had no idea what I was talking about beforehand. <laughs> Right, I need to find a way to stop you Because whatever train of thought you're on Is going to get derailed by these yeah. hideous gargoyle photos Sorry, like. unfortunately the cat on this podcast About jingly keys Has been fucking <laughs> distracted like. Chapter 4 Training tips for everyone Have goals, take a notebook to the gym with you Take work a hard. notebook to the gym with you Yeah, that's something I didn't actually do And now I've got a special little gym notebook I'd be The sweat on this. that now would be a bit <laughs> You know Oh really? <laughs> Oh, Kevin. Why don't you take a look at this and tell me what it says on the front of it, my friend? Oh, my God. This is a special waterproof and sweatproof notebook that fits in any pockets. Any. Any. Record, set your records in stone. You know that little pocket inside a pocket you have on jeans? Yeah. Like little condom pocket? Doesn't fit in there. How about that? Look at that sweat, sweat free. But no, that is actually a good goal for anyone that doesn't uh, that goes to the gym. I never thought of that because I would go to the gym a lot and w- measure it in terms of time, and I also have like a heart tracker that would measure it in terms of activity. But I never think to measure my reps and to actually see how much you know reps and weight and how much progress I'm making in that department. The real studs distinguish themselves with diligent note taking. That is one of his points. Like, yeah, that would really help you. It helps you stay motivated and it helps you see where you're going. So I. Does he take his notes in after he gets sick or before? <laughs> he writes it in like, the it sick. Didn't, it didn't say it's sick proof, Adam. Does he want to bleach that thing, you know? <laughs> Don't overdo it. You can always overtrain. Run the rack. What does that mean? That's what I was talking about earlier about like do it starting off on a heavy weight and then working your way down until you've run okay, the entire run, rack. Run the rack. Gotcha. Chapter 5. Life in WCW. I just don't know, Bischoff said after we got through the explanation of how I got my resume into Bob Dew's hands. You don't have a name, I've never seen you work, and you're a good. I'm a what? A good. It means you're geographically undesirable. To this day, I am convinced that Eric made the term good up as a way to blow people off when he didn't want to hire them. Geographically undesirable. Yeah, G-U-D. So why is he you want no New Hampshire wrestlers? Is that it? Well, that's exactly what Triple H says back to him. He's like, how many guys of yours are from Atlanta? And what the fuck does it matter? Like, I'll move there if you want me to work for you. Then I'll fucking move to Atlanta, obviously. Or, like, this, sorry, this is WCW in a time where one of the person's call names was from a small village outside France. Or from anywhere he darn well pleases. Those were hometowns. Sorry, is anywhere you darn please not geographically undesirable? I think Eric didn't want to have to like pay for Triple H to come out to Atlanta for a tryout or anything. I, I don't know. He's. I mean, in fairness to Eric Bischoff, there is nothing other than Kowalski's you know name that could say, "Hey, yeah, you should actually hire this guy because he has. He's not worked in Japan. He's not done yeah. any shots anywhere. He's not done jobs for anyone. So 
Well, eventually Triple H convinces him to let him pay his own way to Atlanta and then be able to show him his skills. Like, he's just saying... Well, like, literally, I'll pay for my own airfare and I'll, stuff. I'll pay my own way to come to you. Give me five minutes, I'll show you what I can do, and then, you know, we'll go from there. Like, so eventually Eric finally relents and says that we can do that. When he gets to Atlanta, the first person he meets at the building is Dusty Rhodes, who apparently is in charge and doesn't know that Eric is taking over on the booking. Uh-oh. Yeah, and Triple H causes a whole fiasco because he gets there and he's like, oh, Bishop said I could show up. And Dusty, like, apparently flew off the handle and, like, Fucking it was, like, hell. all hands on deck, like, we need to get a hold of Dusty. Oh, like, my God. I remember someone from the office came down after Dusty finished his tirade and said to me, you really started a shit fire here, kid. Wow. <laughs> Proper Jim Leahy. Yeah. All, all your fault, Triple H. Apparently Dusty was gone within a week of that incident. Wow. Like, just left. First day of him actually working a match there, apparently no one wants to say a word to him, except for Arn Anderson. Like, apparently just he sat in the locker room by himself getting changed, and all the boys are coming in and not saying anything to him, until eventually the only space left in the locker room is next to Triple H, which Arn Anderson takes, and they start chatting and become firm friends very quickly. Triple H goes out and has his match. Arn tells him that he's essentially got a job and you can look forward to working together again. Go and talk to Eric. It's so confusing though. It's like, you know, this wrestler tells you that you've got a job. But it's like, Who's oh, in charge? Who's in charge? There's a lad that was in charge and now he's gone because I said the wrong thing. Yeah, like, God. But Arn says to him, you've basically got a job here. That was so good. Go and chat to Eric and he'll sort it out. Except Eric's already gone home for the night. And probably, ah. probably didn't even see Triple H's match. Rewind a little bit. Apparently before that match on that night, Eric called Triple H and his opponent into the office. Do we know who the opponent is? No, no mention of it. <laughs> I didn't think it was important. He tells Triple H that you're going to put the other guy over. And he's like, okay, cool. And they go off. And then Eric's like, oh, actually, wait. Come back in here a sec. I was just testing you. You're going over. And Triple H is, Oh my god, that is so shit and like... Triple H is like, cool. This is lame. Like, have you ever heard of a thing called kayfabe, Mr. Levesque? I'm about to blow your fucking world <laughs> wide open. Turns out the sport of professional wrestling is not as sporting as you once thought. What? He gets to wrestle with them again the next night, and apparently it's the same deal. All the boys think he's brilliant, he's golden, definitely got a job for sure. Eric so Bischoff I, is not there. I still can't lie. I stop thinking about that, 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 that whole, like, you're, you're going over. That was just a test. That it's is so lame, is isn't it? so fucking lame. I hate like. that. Bischoff as well. You know, he's like, he's so young, he knows fuck all at this point yeah. in time. He's such a chancer, like. <laughs> God, you can see how he rubbed people the wrong way straight away, like. Eventually, Bischoff does call him, and they give him an offer of two-year contract, fifty grand a year. That's pretty decent. It is decent, yeah. I just Triple H doesn't want to be tied in to WCW for mm. two years is the only thing. Like he doesn't want to stay there for that long. He's basically saying like the money was nice, but he's already got a really well-paying job full time at the gym. He doesn't know for sure things are going to work out. At WCW. He probably would make more money at your gym than he will. For yeah, WCW, especially because yeah. you know things, he's already climbing the ladder at the gym, and he's yeah. already got heights that he can reach quite easily so he's a little concerned and he eventually negotiates with eric to do a one-year deal for 50 grand instead his argument being that we'll do a year after a year you'll either know i'm the drizzling shits and you won't want to hire me again or you'll know i'm brilliant and you'll want to pay me more money for year two right yeah that's pretty good it's solid negotiating right there yeah very very good tactic very smart eric agrees and gives him three months in which to move to atlanta and like a thousand dollars to do it with like that's not enough money to move to Atlanta. It, it absolutely isn't, but <laughs> what can you do? 
Apparently, at this point in time, he'd been going steady with a girl for four years. Whoa, going but, steady! Yeah, no mention of her up until this point, but they've been dating for four years, apparently. Big part of each other's lives. So big that we opted not to mention her up until this yeah, point. Yeah, it was apparently assumed amongst all their families that they were going to end up getting married together and having kids. She was all set to come to Atlanta with him and make the move. Sorry, baby! Yeah, he was kind of like, I want to have a clear mind and no distractions while I'm, you know, chasing my dream. Wow! So he dropped her. Wow, that's yeah. fucking cold-blooded, baby. I was expecting it to be like she didn't want to come or she couldn't handle the idea of being a wrestler's partner. But Four years? She was willing and ready to come to Atlanta with him Ooh. and support him throughout the whole journey and he wasn't even willing to give it a go. Wow. He was just like, no distractions. What an outlaw. Yeah. First couple of months on the road are pretty rough, apparently. He's not got the right habits for eating on the road, spending on the road, travelling on the road. Like, he's apparently out of money almost immediately. Because he's overspent. He's, he's losing his physique because he's eating poorly. Like... He's not got any of the habits in place that you need, essentially. So yeah, he's, he's getting into some bad habits with life on the road. To try and fit in with the rest of the boys, I'd go out partying every single night until there was nowhere else to go. That usually meant I'd get in around 5 or 6 a.m. And if I was lucky, which was most nights, I didn't get to sleep until 8 a.m. About one of the things I did right was stay true to the way I felt about drinking, smoking, and drugs. I never got into any of them. My vice was women. They were my after-hours indulgence. And boy, did I indulge. Well, he's uh, quite, quite the ladies' man here, mm -hmm. huh? I was lucky to make the gym once a week and eat twice a day. I was trying my damnedest to handle this part of life right when I was back home in Atlanta and to make up for it. Unfortunately, Atlanta had its share of the ladies as well. Hello, ladies! So yeah, I forgot he does mention his approach to sobriety. He do I forgot about that one little mention there. But his one vice is the women, mate. Interesting, and Brad Hart also said his, his, his vice was uh, ladies, even though he also did a little bit of cocaine and weed and other stuff as well. But his, his main vice, he said, throughout the years was, was ladies. And I believe Honky Tonk Man said something similar about Jimmy Hart as well, right? Really? Did he not? Was Which... it not like J Jimmy Hart never smoked, never drank, You're right. never did crack? He chased a few whores now. <laughs> I remember the, the way he said it. The way he said it so casually. <laughs> Sorry, though. I never imagined Triple H as being ladies' man. The ladies' at man. All, yeah. At all at all. No, apparently that was his vice. Well, according to other people, his vice was being the designated driver. Like, that was like, pretty much it. Like, you know? <laughs> Getting his friend Kevin Nash home safe. That's my buzz. You know when you've been out and you've you've met someone on the dance floor and you want to take them home, so you load them up in the car with X-Park and Sean Michaels yeah. and Kevin Nash. Hey man, you, you might think that cocaine's a hell of a drug. My drug is driving the road with Kevin Nash at 7am as he drunkenly tells me the finer points of Cunnilingus. <laughs> I love that that's Kevin Nash's new brand now. I am all for it, like. Apparently he lost £35 in muscle mass since joining WCW because of these bad wow. habits. Yeah, just because of not eating right, not training right. Is it? I wonder if he's not got, like, uh, a buddy on the road to basically like this is how you do it you know, I think that's what it is you is need he, the veteran like he's so new to the idea of working a circuit and travelling so much like. and what is very interesting about Triple H even though we had the you know the, the, the point off there with, with Ted RCD and obviously his trainer killer Kowalski he's one of the only few people I can tell who came into WCW who didn't have like a bunch of guys from the gym or place you know when Foley came in, there was guys he'd worked with, you know, down in Texas and stuff like yeah. that. Triple H seems to know 
no one. Yeah. Other than the few corporate guys. In terms of the wrestlers... That's true. He knows no one. And yeah. that's, like, interesting that, yeah, this is basically, like, starting, like, a really difficult MMO with no tutorial and you're failing really bad and you're, you know, not leveling up properly. It's true. You don't know anyone yet and you're not going to be able to bond by going out drinking and partying because that's not really your scene, like... I wonder if he just saying that he was partying loads at the start. Like, mm. I just I don't buy it for a I second. Don't I don't. I really don't buy that in the slightest. Oh, I was too much of a ladies' I mean, man. Don't get me wrong. I I buy him being present for some of these events. Yeah, and being there, I don't buy him partying. Like, there's a it's, big difference. That's it. It's just when there are books from pretty much every one of your compatriots who detail quite a lot all of the partying culture and the scenes and all the companies at the time. And the only person who's ever said the Triple H, you know, was out chasing the ladies is Triple, Triple H, H just now. Yeah. And everyone else was like, straight lace, never party. Yeah, he wasn't just, a party, yeah. You know, he'd, he'd drive a few minivans now. <laughs> <laughs> now, Triple H only got this gig in WCW because he told Eric Bischoff that he'd been wrestling for five years already at this point. Uh-oh. And Terry Taylor, who's also working there, can smell this as BS straight away. Well, I mean, that's very easy to check up on that now, that, that claim, Very right? easy to check up on, and I'm sure you can tell when someone's been wrestling for less than five years. Like, I'm sure a seasoned person like Terry Taylor could probably tell by looking alone. And he can tell, and he basically confronts Triple H about it, like, five years, huh? Huh. Huh. And, yeah, Triple H comes clean. And Terry, apparently very nice guy, handles it really nicely, and he's like, look, I'm not going to... You know, out how, you or anything. How long had he been wrestling? Like what, one or two years? Maybe. Triple H. I'm going to say at this point, maybe two years. Yeah. If you're including his time with Kowalski, not yeah. five anyway. For Definitely definite. not five. But Terry cuts him a deal where he says, "Okay, you come to the power plant and work with me, and like, you know, I'll get you there. I'll get you up in shape and like get you prepared to actually be in the position to say you've been wrestling for that amount of time. And I won't tell anyone that you've." You've lied, basically, as long as you come to the power plant and stick with God, it. God, I didn't know the power plant was in operation back that early. Apparently wow, so, yeah. that's amazing. And Triple H was like very clear to be like, he told me to be there at 7, so I was there at 6.45. Like, I wanted to prove a point that I am dedicated, and I know that I've been caught out lying. Mr. Professional, like... Yeah, yeah, and that is one recurring thing with Triple H in this. There's never any... I've never heard anyone be like, oh yeah, Triple H no-showed, or he was late for this. No, it's like, always Triple H the brown noser showed up early. Yeah, like, exactly, you know, yeah. yeah. And he's the one tutting at people that didn't show up. Well, like, we all we all know one of those, don't we? What, me? Like, getting here early for the podcast. You live like. here, for fuck's sake. <laughs> he says the reason why he got over with lads like Terry Taylor and Arn and Rick is because they could actually see in him like how much he wanted this and how much he wanted to succeed in wrestling and they respected that he was one of the boys deep down they respected that the kid was a natural apparently he became really good friends with terry taylor around this time and he would often get invited back to his house to eat dinner with terry and his family right. and they're do, still in touch do they have red rooster hey now that sounds like a great takeaway place in doesn't america it? doesn't Go it like, red rooster yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 5.99 for 200 pieces of chicken at very red good <laughs> He starts improving in the ring considerably and catches the eye of Ric Flair. He's still terrorising at this point, right? Yes. Okay. We've not made the change just okay, yet. Okay, okay. A few weeks later, he gets called to CNN Center where they want to shoot promos. And they're saying to him, like, okay, now we want to develop some character for you. We want to shoot you on the camera. It's time to have a think about who you're going to be. Do you speak French? Rick asked when I walked in. Sorry? Do you speak French? No. How come? How come what? How come I don't speak French? I just don't, I said, having no idea why my inability to speak French had to do with my wrestling career. Because you've got a French last name! 
Ah, Levesque, I see. Or Levesque. According to Triple H, Levesque is like the equivalent of Smith in France. It's very common, nothing special about it. Like, Is, it, are his parents French ancestry, did he mention? I wouldn't know, Kevin. <laughs> he doesn't go on about the family at all, does he? Apart it? from them being really supportive and loving, we don't get any information. There's no like insights like we got with Papa Hardy. Like, There's mm. nothing really to glean from his parents. So he's given five minutes on the spot there and then to come up with a French heel persona. Like, okay, yeah, Jean-Paul Levesque, let's let's go. Come, uh, up, come up with something and we'll film it in five. You're like. French now. Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> he gets paired up with William Regal and they become the Blue the Bloods. The Blue Bloods, yes. Yeah. He said he was just getting to know Regal at the time, but on a personal level, they hit it off right away. He remains one of my closest friends to this day. Yeah, they're uh, very, very closely knit, obviously, now in, in NXT. Clearly, like... Although, again, very interesting, given that Regal had a penchant for heavy drug use at the time. Mm. And, you know, Triple H being the squeaky clean guy that he was. I mean, it's interesting that Triple H managed to be this clear-headed guy, but yet still fraternize and still have you know good friendships with people yeah. who party because you know Brett was or Austin there were guys like that who didn't like to take part in the partying culture but then we're always able to say oh that's the lone wolf guy over there you know they don't yeah. they don't hang around with anyone but Triple H I think is one of the only few people who actually you know wrestling's designated driver you know managed to find himself in a lot of people's good books I guess yeah and he says it's because people could see in him how bad he wanted it but you know you could sort of probably make that claim about Bob Holly as well being mm. a really hardcore like he was there to do the job be professional and make it in wrestling he didn't party and no. he was fucking unpopular because of it that's like, true yeah it's, it is one of the most important things about wrestling if you don't take part in that socialization, that, that part of you know, being one of the boys you know, we're seeing even now in 2019 with wrestlers not paying their dues in the the new ways in yeah, which they're meant Leo to do Rush. it yeah. you know as as timid as it may seem compared to the those dues being paid in the 70s or the 80s the same mentality though like if you don't socialize and you don't socialize in the way that we have decided this is how you do it like imagine if you were someone who's like fuck i don't want to do up up down down like oh, oh okay. okay all right all yeah all right fine then oh that's okay you're not fun is that yeah, it, that's man? cool we'll see you at raw next week whatever <laughs> So as all this is going on, he's now French. He's now in the Blue Bloods with Regal. <laughs> he's now French. Yeah. Life takes a hell of a turn sometimes, isn't it, Adam? <laughs> as all this is going on, his one-year contract is coming up to expire, and it's time to think about what's next. Have you ever seen any of his promos as Jean-Paul Levesque? No, I haven't. It is so funny. Yeah, his proper French accent and everything, right? Uh, attempted French proper accent. Proper French. Yeah. Hello, I'm Jean-Paul Levesque, mon partner. Steven Riegel. Jesus wept. Los le ass kicker. <laughs> it's not good stuff. Okay. Well, I think he knew that it wasn't good stuff as well because he's really considering getting out of WCW as well now. Terry Taylor even says to him, like, you should probably go and talk to WWF. <laughs> it's so bad with the, the people that work for the company. Like, you should leave here get now. Out. Leave. Please. Leave me here. Like, go on without me. <laughs> So he does, and he negotiates offers with both companies, and he decides to go with Vince. This is Vince's offer. I want you to understand what I'm offering you. It's a spot. A good spot. I'm not bringing you in as just any other guy. I want to run you through my creative department. I want to do this right. While I don't give guaranteed contracts, I'll give you my words that will make more in your first year here than WCW was willing to guarantee you. That was all I needed to hear. The decision was made. Oh, that's pretty, pretty firm. It's, it's interesting what a 
you know, fast pass he has. Yeah. It's it's incredible. He has no real connections in the business. Well, that's it. We're talking about a very similar rocket strap to The Rock says, but he's not got the no, dad in the industry. It's not. Like. And, you know, even by his own admission, he's not there yet 100%. No. All he has going for him is people saying, this kid's got his head screwed on. Is it that people who are, like, sober had a passion and knowledge for the business and were halfway decent and took how they looked seriously. Yeah. Like, you know, there's very few people who fall in that because usually it's like, you looked great, but you had a shitload of problems. Yeah. Or you loved wrestling, but you looked like shit. Or, mm-hmm. you know, the, he's or really... You, or you were great, but you couldn't handle the sort of the, the hazing and the mentality of the politics. Yeah, like... he's able to actually, through socialization really triple h that is how he found his way in and i think it's yeah. very interesting obviously the stuff with stephanie plays such a big role in his rise to the top it but does but to even get to this point like he just he knew the right wheels to grease he's and... 10 steps ahead of anyone who would be starting off in the same position definitely and part of me has is yelling my head saying so much this is just luck you know, if it hadn't been Bischoff not really knowing his first fucking day, Bischoff, yeah. like, you know, that's kind of crazy to think. A lot of it is working in his favour that that's way. That's true, that's true. But I do think you've got to hand it to him. I think a lot of his very quick ascent is because he knows wrestling so well. I think he could just see the sort of culture of wrestling backstage and what people expect of him, what yeah. people expect of you to behave. What like people want to hear. What people want to hear. Like, even though you're not going to drink and party... You're certainly going to be there. You're not going to judge them or complain about them doing it. You're going to be there pretending or at least going along with the good time. It's like, like when you watch something like The Wolf of Wall Street and you see how someone like super young goes in and figures out, this is what people want to hear, this is what they want to know, and all of a sudden you're 10 steps ahead. You're the top guy now. Like, it, it, like it, it, You're kidding yourself if you think wrestling starts off on even footing. And he has a lot of advantages already getting his look and whatnot. Yeah. But he is savvy. That is really, that really That is the obvious. right word, I think. Yeah. Absolutely savvy to the wrestling business. And he knows exactly what people want. Triple H goes and tells Eric that he's decided to leave for the WWF. And of course, Eric is dumbfounded. Like, Congratulations, that was the test. Here's your real contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that you should say that, that he wants to leave. Because this all was a, was a test. I'm actually Vince McMahon. <laughs> Yeah, Eric can't believe it. WCW is cushier, there's less dates to work, less travel, it's more guaranteed money than Vince can offer him. But if you are not someone who, like, the two big draws for WCW, one, it is, it's cushier. If you're lazier, WCW is the place to go. You'll get more money for doing less, even before they hit the big boom period, because of how it's corporate. It's not a family business, Mm because it's corporate. There's layers of middle management that means that people get away with shit and people don't chase shit up. Unlike where it's like, what does Vince think? The end, you know? And also as well, it's got not compulsory drug testing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's a huge fact. I, I mean, this period in time, 92, 93... There's a videotape from the backstage area. You've seen it. And you're the one I'm talking about. The one where you see like Dr. Death and the Road Warriors literally like, oh, yeah. look like they're making a fucking cake. They're covered in flour like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> running around sticking, fo- you know, sticking pencils up each other's asses, high as kites, you know, that, and that's not where Triple H wants to be, obviously. Yeah. And but Eric can't understand that at all. To him, WCW is the best, and Triple H is a fucking idiot. And Don't you fr- want to ride your Harley Davidson in the spring break with me and the boys? What's, <laughs> what's the matter? I brewed some of my of my beer, like you know, <laughs> we're gonna have some Bischoff brows on the road to Sturgis. Eric says that's dumb, and he throws him out, and that's him done with WCW. Wow, I I do think he is again understating how shit, like, yeah, how important WCW was. He like 
the fact that he's not saying like I'm so lucky I got here I was mm-hmm. able to position myself it's a serious stepping stone he's making out that this is all beneath him really it's isn't like it? an accident almost <laughs> like as he's leaving he bumps into Ric Flair he says just between you and me you go make yourself a star you're doing the right thing you go wrestle for him like you're capable Vince McMahon will make you a star. I'm so sorry you had to even come here. I'm, ash- I'm ashamed that WCW even exists. Chapter 6. A word on eating and nutrition. Um, yum, yum. I got a very sexy Triple H. Whoa! Hands behind the head. Like, pin up Triple H. Hubba, hubba, baby. Oh my god. At first, I thought it was me. The way you flip your attitude constantly. But hey, I finally figured it out. You're the type of man for to make it in. <laughs> You're not enough for me. Okay. Oh god, there's more pictures of him as a teenager in his pants. Yeah, be be very careful with that, like. Okay, so this is where we get to the Triple H diet plan. The note on eating. Anything goes. Well, is Triple H tells us what his favourite meal is? No, I don't think he has a favourite oh, meal. I hate that. There's a lot of talk about nutrition here, which I'm just going to gloss over because it's very reminiscent of Ryback. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure how you're, you know. The former biology teacher has to know like, how your your level of nutrition is. Is he talking bollocks here from when you understand it, like, or is he talking talking sense? Oh no, this this all seems. There's no like eating for your blood type. He's talking about actual nutrition, like, like carb, why you eat protein and carb. fatty acids, stuff like that. Okay. It's, it's all real stuff in here. It's just boring. <laughs> That's all it is. So we'll get into the actual diet plan here. And this God, is... there's there's nothing quite as terrifying as the as the the headline meal number seven. <laughs> Well, meal number seven. This is going to be my one day. I'm only doing this for a day, and there is no chance I'm going to the gym on the same day as doing this because fuck me. This is going to be the Wednesday that I'm taking it. Oh god, I don't even know if I can do it in between days because if I do this on the Wednesday, I'm probably going to be out of action on Thursday as well. I think I have it's to do this. A little dabbing of the forehead. This is going to be the weekend at the end of the workout. Like, have you and have you decided what the seven meals are going to be? Oh, Triple H has decided what the seven oh, meals are going to okay. be, Kevin. We're going to run down it now because you know I like to cook anything I can help with or is it is it that type of this joyless food this isn't cooking I think that's how you meant to go don't this call isn't, it food this isn't food this isn't food this is, can this is fuel get the biggest can of dog food <laughs> <laughs> okay meal number one wake up and have a milk and egg protein shake no straight away first thing to have no meal number two breakfast okay two chicken breasts Oh no, chicken for breakfast. breakfast. Get out of here. And he always describes it as just chicken breasts, never seasoned. So I'm not am I allowed to like brine these breasts? No, I honestly I think I'm gonna have to do all of these things plain because there's never any talk of sauce or seasoning or flavour. Okay. Two chicken breasts. This is breakfast. I've already had a protein shake. Good luck getting chicken into you in the fucking first thing in the morning. After a shake as well. Two chicken breasts. Six whole eggs. Six! Two chicken breasts. Six eggs! Six eggs. Six! Adam, six eggs! A large bowl of oatmeal and fruit juice. Your face. That's literally... Today is Friday recording this. That is basically... Because I had half a bowl of... Like, you know, a small bowl of oatmeal Monday. A small bowl of oatmeal on Wednesday. And on Tuesday, I had two eggs. And on Thursday, because I was doing a big podcast... (laughs) I had three eggs. So in one meal, after which you were already going to be having chicken breast and a protein <laughs> shake, you're going to eat my week's breakfasts. And you still have five meals to go! 
so you'll see all this on the video diary when it comes out. Fucking hell, Adam. <laughs> you getting sick. I'm, I'm telling you, man, this is not going to be fun for me. I'm, I'm putting myself through the ringer for this I, Are you ready for some white and grey sick, folks? Because that's what's coming. Meal number three, second protein shake of the day. Don't make your oatmeal with milk. For the love of God, just make it with water, all right? It'll be lighter. Meal number four. This is my pre-workout meal. Sorry, what this, was meal three? Meal three, second protein shake of the day. Okay. And he will add in to this second protein shake, he adds in some essential fatty acids as well to make sure he's getting plenty of them. Tin of mackerel. I'm not, spend, I'm not spending a fortune on this. I'm just getting some basic protein shakes and we'll leave it at That's that. That's fine, you know. Meal four. This is my pre-workout meal. Like, this reminds you that you're doing this and going to the gym and doing the Triple H workout at the same time. Adam, honestly, food gives me such joy, you honestly. know. I'm a subs- I don't I don't go out clubbing or go out drinking that much. I don't go to many big concerts. I'll go out and see a few shows now and then. My only indulgence is food and <laughs> boy did I indulge. I'm just I I love going for a nice a nice meal, yeah. you know. It's it's the best thing in the world. Or even still putting aside a little bit of extra money to buy something something really nice to make it yes. myself, you know. And geez, this just feels like there's no way you can get joy out of food when you do it. Nothing you do seven times a day can be, oh no can have joy. And th- that's why I'm so glad I'm doing this for a day because a this is going to make me feel physically ill. I know it's going to be too much food. And does but, he just say like, oh, ease yourself in, don't go full seven meals? He's like, do yeah, it. I know. I obviously this is quite tongue in cheek because I'm sure there's no way he's expecting someone to dive straight into this diet. But I want to make the game, Kevin. Does so he I'm say going, don't don't do? He this. doesn't say don't do well, this. That's he's enough, just saying then. this is his diet, like, and I, you know, I'm if I want to be the game it's time to play the game you're gonna die in vain change your name <laughs> so pre-workout, pre-workout meal, meal which is two to three chicken breasts two to three servings of rice and two servings of vegetables any old vegetables yeah i imagine that's just gonna be like some frozen veg you know like the multi-bags yeah yeah steam those okay I'll put a little paprika or something on that chicken breast. I don't know if I'm allowed the calories. I, how are you allowed to cook it? Can you grill it? Can it you... doesn't say. I'm imagining grilling is going to be the way to go. Don't I've got, steam it. I've got a non I'm not going to steam the chicken. Don't oh, like boil it or whatever. No. Oh, no. Just don't do that. I was going to grill the chicken. Okay. I don't know what I find. I'm going to have to grill. But, butterfly it at least. I so mean, you it, cook yeah. a lot more than me. Maybe I need to plan out how to do it. Should I cook all five chicken breasts at the start of the day in one go? Should I still I... think you should brine them just so they'll taste like some. Because you're not going to get calories and chili and sh- and fucking chili and I garlic know, and if, a bit of flavour. If I'm getting surplus enjoyment from the food, then I'm not authentically making the game. Like I think Triple H. There will be no flavour here tonight. Meal number five. This the is my cheese for the rest. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Meal number five. This is my post-workout shake. Meal number six, my final actual meal of the day. I go with either a large steak or a couple of pieces of fish. I'll have smaller portions well, of rice Well, you don't eat fish, fish, so you're, you're, you're on for a steak it's then. It's a big steak for me then. That's a lot of meat to eat in one day. I, 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 I'm ending the day with a big piece of red meat after having eaten five chicken you, breasts. You know how much you're meant to have of red know, meat. Yeah. You're meant to have the size of a pack of playing cards. That's meant to be your protein for the day. How many packs of playing cards is five fucking chicken 
Like, this is like Dungeons and Dragons. It's like a Magic the Gathering deck that you've got here. I'm genuinely, like, if this I'm is, going right in the face, it's because I'm genuinely feeling ashamed right now. This is Yugi's like granddad's fucking deck that he's it's, getting it's that like much meat. Your dad's overheard you planning to do something stupid. He's like, no, you can't actually do that. I, I feel genuinely embarrassed talking to you about this, Kevin. I know how stupid this is. And yeah, I'm scared. I'm genuinely scared. You're gonna have to, I think I'm going to get sick. You're going to have like, to fast the day before. Yeah, I think genuinely. the day before I have to fast. The day after, I'm going to have to have the day booked off just to yeah. sort of lie and rub bed. the stomach a little yeah, bit. Like. Feel for myself. <laughs> I'm so frightened. And then, yeah, ending the day right before bed, a protein shake. Oh he, sa- man. he says right before I go to bed. Is that the fourth protein, protein shake? shake? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a lot of protein, baby. Is it? It's too much for you, Kevin. You're going to tack on so much goddamn mass. I know. I feel like I'm going to like really maybe. If any of the good I do throughout the week of exercise is going to be undone on this day. I mean, it's not fatty foods. It's no, it's just, just a lot of protein. centric So... I mean, the worst that'll happen is that the excess protein will be deposited on the ends of your joints. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, that, that's all, you're alright with that, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know, am I? I mean, you... Should I be? <laughs> I don't want to grow a horn or something. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 7. My World Wrestling Federation career begins. So Vince wants him to keep a lot of the character from WCW, but to make him American just in case they decide to turn him face in the future. Which this is so, is so fucking shallow. Like, Come on. Yeah, let's keep all of our options open. Heaven forbid we make him a foreign character because then you can never be a face. That's true. Like, it's literally impossible. Has there ever been a French good guy in, in wrestling? Jesus Christ. Or even a French Canadian. We had one week of Kevin Owens being a good guy. One week. One week. And it stank to high heavens. I didn't buy it at all. Oh, I loved life. it, man. I was all about the big O. <laughs> so unlike WCW, here working on the character is a collaborative process. Like Triple H is involved, the creative office is involved, the marketing people are involved. Everyone's working together to decide what's the best character for you. What are we going to do going forward? What do you hate, Vince? I hate rich people who aren't me in Connecticut. Oh, okay, so we'll do that That's then. That's what we're doing. But the body language, the physical traits, like the smirk and the bow and everything, that was all completely Triple H is doing, apparently. He says that his physique had gotten quite soft in WCW, and at this point in time he acknowledged that he needed to get back in a more of a lean shape for WWF. Had he gotten flat? <laughs> He wasn't fit to carry his own jock at this point. I see, right. He recognised that WWF would be harder work because they got a different work rate, there's more shows, he would need better cardio, essentially. The Hunter Hearst Helmsley character, what are your thoughts to it? I mean, because where we're at in season four... That that character I love. I love the dun, 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 dun. Yeah. He's not trying to do the silly accent. He's, yeah. He's meant to be just someone who's got a lot of advantages. I like that because that feels like a baddie from a Rocky movie or something. Yes. It's like whoever's against him is automatically the underdog because this guy has bought every advantage oh, you can possibly have. He's had a wrestling coach since he was an embryo. <laughs> You know? But yeah, the, the silly accent. Like, I'd rather have my lawyer sue somebody into submission. Like <laughs> that is so lame. It's and so it just, bad. Yeah, so hokey and it stinks. And and one time I annoyed Vince McMahon, I guess, by playing polo too loud. <laughs> he doesn't like that, I guess. I don't know. He was immediately welcomed by the boys in the back because he had a great match with X Pac one night. And apparently, after that, everyone like recognized this guy's great. He can hang, and he was pretty much welcomed into the clique straight away. Oh wow. 
the usual click bullshit here of like, yeah, we, 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 you know, we never threw around our influence or our weight. We had a lot of ideas, but, you know, Vince turned down a lot of our ideas as well. We never once tried to use our stroke to hold someone down or poo-poo an idea. I mean, you know what? I think you can individually make that claim. Like, no one member, maybe Sean, but, you know, Sean was a fucking demon child, like, yeah. you know. But, I mean... Yeah, Triple H can say that individually, but I think the reality is is when collectively all the top stars are individually pitching a lot of ideas that all involve themselves, and while no one person is like saying, oh, just us, when four or five guys are saying, me and this guy and that guy and whatever, and it's a very small group, collectively that damages a lot of the roster. Yeah. You know? And while I definitely think there's a lot to be said and there's, there's definitely contributions that were made by the clique in terms of helping people get a fair shake in terms of money and stuff like that. You know, them asking how much each other got paid and them demanding to get paid. Fairly. The problem is when that didn't extend to other people. Yeah. That's the issue there, you know. Because before, all you could really do was just, you know, walk out of the company. And mm-hmm. I think they proved that you didn't have to do that necessarily if the payoff wasn't right. You see, but even in that mentality, being as fair to the clique as you are there, it's still sort of implying that they weren't really there to help other people. No, they were there to help their mates. Which, like. that simply ain't true, Kevin, because the clique were actually a bunch of great lads, as seen in this extract here. I remember one time when I was still very new. Vince and Jerry Briscoe flew out to Indianapolis to meet the five of us and talk about the company. Vince was at a point where he wanted to overhaul the business, was interested in our opinions on exactly what he should do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What? Tell me what we should do, Hunter. I was so new at this point that I didn't want to sit in the meeting because I didn't feel I'd earned the right to. Vince came over to me as I was walking away. He said, get in here. You're part of this, too. You seem like you've got a good head for this stuff, and I want your opinion. To open the meeting, he handed out the complete talent roster and asked, if this were your company... Who would you want on your team and why? The funniest part about the whole scene was that a lot of the people that hate us the most were some of the first people we told Vince we wanted on our team. I think he's got it. Nah, he's an asshole, but he can play on our team any day. Guys that shit on us the most, that told everyone we were the worst thing in the history of the business, we didn't let that cloud our professional judgment. So he's basically saying Undertaker and Bret Hart were on our lists as well. It's basically it, right? That's what he's saying. That is what he's saying there. And it was during that meeting that the Attitude Era was born. Of course, of course. You know? Yeah, they were there for that, mate. Fucking ridiculous. I mean, like, no one's... Like, the click weren't stupid. They weren't going to be like, yes, Bret Hart, the guy who's been the top guy and the only top guy for the last three or four years... Yeah, keep him, I guess, yeah. yeah. I guess he might be a draw. Undertaker, legitimately like the, the most original character, one of the most iconic creations in the history of wrestling, yet alone WWF. Yeah, no, we can have We him can find well. something for him. But or... hey, Aldo Montoya, he's pretty cool as well, don't forget. <laughs> yeah. You know. So around this time, apparently Adam Bomb was scheduled to work with Henry O'Godwin. And he was Henry O'Godwin's one of Triple H's boys, isn't he? Yeah, which is uh, one of the oddest little factoids in wrestling Weird ever. Because like... he tried to get him a job, like in you know the two thousands again. Was Henry O or Phineas in the BSK? Phineas was Midian. Henry O was in the BSK. Okay. Henry O was the guy. He he got the neck problem after getting taken the Doomsday device and landed right in the back of his oh, head. Oh jeez, yeah. right. Well, he was in a feud with um, Adam Bomb, and Adam Bomb was meant to get a slop in the face. Physical. That, that match right there. <laughs> Adam Bomb and Henry O'Godwin. Physical. And he was meant to get slopped in the face, but apparently Adam Bomb rolled over and took it on the back, and that, like, 
made everyone fuming backstage. Like, I can imagine that being the kind of thing that Vince was livid about, yeah. like not getting it in the face. Somewhere the bulldog just like gets sick. Like, and then Triple H uses Regal as an example of the exact opposite of this kind of mentality. Someone that was willing to make himself look as foolish. He was willing to drink piss on TV. He, he will, it was good, yeah, like. will show his penis on pay-per-view. Like, <laughs> Jesus remember that? No. What? What? They did a fitting bit of the SmackDown pay-per-view once where Regal was like in his towel, slipping around, and his top came out. <laughs> 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 How have I never heard oh of Oh my this? god, yeah. Regal's knob fella. Yeah, and of course, as we all know, you know, the classic British comedy, he was a fan of you know, the Pythons, he's a fan of you know, Dudley Moore and all that, and they'd always whip their dick out and BBC would, one, yeah, you know. Would. Ooh, how's your father? Nothing wrong with it. Like. Fuck Regal. That's horrifying. <laughs> I always, what the problem is though is I mix up a lot of the incidents together so in my head canonically William Regal falls in too much mustard and his dick falls out which are two separate incidents and he also puts over Kurt Angle as someone that like came in with all the seriousness and all the like all the fanfare surrounding him of being a major athlete but he was not too proud to put himself in silly situations and compromise this is all a roundabout way of getting to the point that when Triple H was put in the feud with Henry O he really won a lot of favour from the office by proving how gladly he would like slip in the uh, shit and get slopped. And, like, that's an interesting telling of facts there. Really now, because this this segment he's talking about and he's saying like how he loved like getting big reactions from the fans and how every night that he did a thing with Henry O, he didn't mind getting slopped in the face or falling in pig shit because every night the crowd popped big and he could go backstage and feel proud of getting the reaction he got. That's so interesting because any time in the documentaries of him where they've talked about, you know, the period where Triple H got punished, like even, you know, the the famous interview with JR and stuff like that, they would show clips of like, you know, I had to do shit, you know, because my friends left and went somewhere else. They always show the clip of him doing the pig pen match with Henry O saying that was a big burial for him see according to the timeline of events that he's laid this out here this is before this is pre-curtain call yeah. yeah and also as well Henry O is his mate so I think that that is maybe just using an example of him you know everyone in the WWE <laughs> just think <laughs> they don't want to they do they don't want to do a H dancing with two kill like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he said the six months that he worked with Henry O in that feud was one of his fonder memories to this huh. day. Yeah, which really surprised me because I was the same as you. I felt sure that was one of those, like, look at what I had to deal with kind of memories. I'm pretty sure, yeah, Henry O, him, him and Triple H were tight, like, mm. which is such an odd thing. Like, But yeah, he said he enjoyed the slopping and it was all good. And because of that, because of his willingness to do all the silly stuff, he was seen very well as like a worker that is one you can trust if you don't take yourself too seriously that obviously works in your favor and then he gets pegged for the king of the ring 96 and then we get the curtain call and i mean you know there's literally nothing here about the curtain call that you've not heard a million times from a million podcasts so he's here he's basically laying out saying i didn't think it was a big deal vince said it would be all right then vince didn't like it when he saw it then i got punished but uh, now I'm married to his daughter, so this is a bit of a mood point to the end. You know, it's like, what a boring fucking thing to, like, talk about, in fairness. Because, like, what, what, oh, what happened? He married the fucking boss's daughter. It's it's grand, like, there's no controversy there. It all worked out fine. It's a happy you know? ending. Like... Four millionaires. There yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You're not going to win, King of the Ring, he said. You're not getting involved in a program with Sean. Your career will get put on hold for a little bit. You're going to have to learn to... Eat shit and like the taste of it. Plates and plates. Are you kidding? He he didn't write plates and plates and plates. I wish. I fucking wish. And then by the seventh plate, 
I was thinking I was pretty full. I was, but now I'm on the seven meals a day plan. I was going to say, like, which of the seven meals is a plate of shit that you have to eat, like... And Triple H basically said, like, yep, I accept all this. I accept my punishment on the condition that you can look me in the eye and tell me that this is done between us. That's such bollocks, though. Like, how many times the rest has happened where it's like, you're in big trouble. It's like, okay, but we're going to do my punishment now, but then everything's going to be all right. Yes, obviously it'll be all right. Yeah. But we're going to just have a little, what, pretend fucking run that you're in trouble when you're actually not. Like, like that's... How low... St- how is this intriguing, like? Well, the, the way he's trying to put it out is that Vince is like, this is your sentence. All is forgiven as long as you accept the fact that you're going to be buried for a while you now. You have to like, buy a case of beer for the boys. That kind of, Yeah, it's, it's wrestlers caught on a more formal Yeah, There's like. so non... That's such a non-controversy. Yeah. Think about it, right? That happened... He didn't win King of the Ring 96, but he won King of the Ring 97. And when we start in like... You know, when the curtain call happened, when about... Uh, late 96, I think. Oh, no, sorry, it would have been on the run-up to King of the Ring 96, so it would have been, like, early it, summer. After WrestleMania. Yeah, I would have said it would have been post-WrestleMania. Yeah, because that WrestleMania, Triple H... Sorry, that WrestleMania, Kevin Nash fought The Undertaker. No, so it's after, it has to be after WrestleMania. Triple H lost to the Ultimate Warrior in, like, 10 seconds at that mm. point. So he was already in, like, a holding pattern, whatever the fuck you want to call it. When we started... In like our season four, I thought, oh, this would be Triple H and shaky grounds. Not at all. He's fucking the heir apparent already. He's the he's the next guy. Like he knows, got it all sewn up. It's not so much that he got buried and squashed as a result of this. So much as just his planned push was cancelled. That's it. It's not like his standing actually fell any lower. It's just that his attempted promotion wasn't going to happen anymore. And I think it's something that maybe just because you know we, we you and I both read. The Observer, from mm. around this time, we read the Figure Four Dailies. We try and get a sense from the, the dirt sheets at the time what the knowledge and the know-how was. No one's going on saying, yeah, Triple H is in creative meetings, anything like that. It's not It's not known, it's not reported. Mm. We all knew about this once it came to 2000 and 2001, even 1999. Yeah. But the reality is, is within a few months when Triple H arrives here, much like in WCW, he's shaking the right hands. Exactly. He's already in the creative meetings, he yep. says here. He's at the big creative meeting like yep. a few weeks afterwards. So he's already... Marriage or not, like he's, if anything, the scariest thing he did to usurp his own position was actually marrying his uh, the boss's daughter. Yeah, that's way dodgier than the curtain call. Yeah, like. way dodgier, and worked out all right in the end, didn't this? Chapter eight: Training your abs. How do we do this, Adam? Cerebral absassin. Yeah, is what is the only note I've got here for this? I'm not going to go into detail on training your abs, but I am going to point out there is one bit here where it says, "Do a slow, precise movement, exhaling as you contract and pause for a count of one, two, three. The exercises you see in the photos on the color pages 44 to 48 will help you. Now, there's an issue here. I'm assuming color pages 44 to 48. Now, if you go to page 44, that's just oh, it's a regular part of the book. So if you keep going a little bit further, there is a new section of the book here. <laughs> Which is nothing but black and white pictures. <laughs> Sorry, is this the colour photos in the middle that is now... Oh my... God. It's legitimately... Wait, they start over the page count? They, they start a fresh page count. Like it's a separate little... Like it's almost like maybe like a pull-out thing you would get in the Times. There's 50 uninterrupted pages of black and white pictures. A very low-quality photocopy black and white. Oh my is. god, this is a whole other book within a book. There's a pamphlet in here, There's Adam. like two or three references to check the colour photos. And I looked fucking high and low for a version of this book that came with colour photos. I could not find it anywhere. So the, if there was an original version of this... There must be somewhere. Because this can't be the main version. This seems like so such, cheap. It's so cheap and nasty. 
That is the worst formatting I've ever seen. My God. I feel like we say that every time, but this, for, for especially for a WWE To make reference book, like, to a colour photo section that is not a colour photo section. Yeah. Wow. So that's training your apps. Train your fucking proofreader, mate. Like... Chapter 9, from DX to the game. Well, he's fucking speeding through here now, isn't we he? We are like, speeding through. Yeah. He gets punished for 6 to 12 months. And he said he's glad it went down this way. It taught him humility and how to truly be a man in the business. It gave me the illusion that I was going through hard times, which worked quite well with my compatriots. It's really handy for a biography or for Thy Kingdom Come. Now I can really sell the story <laughs> as harder than it was. Ten minutes of, you know, like, this smooth... This is a little bit of turbulence on the ten-hour flight that's smooth sailing otherwise. So that's it with the punishment. That's us glossed over that. Apparently, Triple H decided that he would like a bodyguard gimmick before they even met China. He just he knew that he wanted to have some sort of muscle for his character. Did they use Mr. Hughes for him at any point? Oh, that sounds about right, it you does, know. does, doesn't that it? That does make sense. Maybe they did. Because I know they had like a different Babe of the Week with him, and then he settled on China yeah, for a bit. Before the Babe of the Week, it might have been Mr. Hughes. They don't mention it, that's for interesting, sure. Interesting, interesting. Apparently, they would let go on to meet China in a hotel lobby. Apparently, she was talking to Jack Lanza, and he was literally just like, oh, these are the guys you really want to talk to, here! And then, like, left her with Sean and Triple H, and they basically got chatting, and immediately they said they had the moment of, like, are you thinking what I'm thinking, kind of thing. Yes, let's ruin her life. Oh, God. (laughs) That's what I was thinking that they were thinking. They go and bug Vince for weeks about it. Like, they keep saying to Vince, like, oh, you really got to see this woman. You, this is a not, trust me on this idea. This is something this special. This large, bionic-looking <laughs> woman, Vince. Triple H says, during this time, I'd gotten to know China a little better. She lived near me, so when I was at home, I'd met her at the gym to train. I needed to make sure she wasn't a complete ding-dong before I kept working ding behind dong. the scenes to bring her in. Adam, is ding-dong one word or two with a dash in the middle? It's, Just, two, it's two with a dash. Two with a dash. Like the ding-dongs, I believe. Ding-dong. He say he goes on to talk about how much of a badass China was in the gym. Like he would work out with her and be sort of like amazed at how she kept keeping up with every weight and every set he did. Right. To the point where like when they got to like his max weight and she did two reps, he was genuinely like, Oh shit, okay. And he apparently he just managed to squeeze out three and then he was like, Oh, that's enough, we're done. And he said from that day onwards he saw China as his equal in the gym, like completely. She was on another level, like I mean is he talking here now in... I, I'm just... My pre-assumption with this as soon as China's brought up, it's he's going to like try and downplay the relationship between yep. them. He's going to downplay that he loved her. Yep. Downplay her kind of contribute. I mean, China got Triple H over to the next level. Yep. You know, because it's one thing being over with Vince and the boys, the idea yada and having their respect. I think we can all agree that as a character that was over with the audience, particularly as a bad guy heel... China was the missing ingredient there. Yeah. So, what is the general tone like now that China's come into this book? We were a great act. The three of us were really great together. China was a badass. There you go. Anything about the feelings? Nothing about the relationship. What? Nothing about the relationship at all? No, literally no mention of him dating China. Are you... That is so shocking. Let me just double check on that, but... um... But I thought, what else is there to talk about? Literally no mention of China's relationship, no mention of China's issues or departure, like... So, when he talks about Stephanie later, surely... What about that? Like, does he talk about, like, I met Stephanie and I broke up with my... (laughs) Of course not. Absolutely not. This This is pretty much the extent of our China chat today. 
I am Pretty so shocked. It. He no-sold it, basically. Completely no-sold his relationship with her. So, as far as you can read from the book here, in this version of events, in making a game, Triple H's approach to a better body... To a better version of events, yeah. <laughs> China was simply a character who was part of, an, of their act for a bit of time, and also his gym buddy. They they brought her in. She wasn't a complete ding dong. She was like phenomenally over, and yeah, she was. I cannot the gym. believe that. Yeah, I know. He told- I, I I can believe it to be honest with you. I wasn't expecting there to be. I any- wasn't expecting much. I would have thought he at least admit that he fucking. We know he went out with her. That mm-hmm. much is known. Yeah, I know. Do you think this is one of the reasons why this was such a stealthy, quiet release? Because this is two thousand and four. This is a you know like you know. Not to be dredging up real horrible shit, folks, but you know, this is a, a real bad period for, for China's post and view. And this is like when she had One Night in China come out. This is when she was still very much the in the surreal news. life. This is when yeah. she was in a, very publicly imploding, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily entirely just her fault, I think. We can agree on that. Mm. So that's the, that's the approach here. We'll be very quiet about this book mm-hmm. and we will not mention. We'll keep Joni at arm's length in it, like. That's more than arms. That's a barge pole they've kept yeah. away with. I can't believe that. That is so shocking. What a fucking coward. Yeah, no, it's it's sad because now you'll just talk about DX in general and never really specifically talk about China at any point. Because, you know, like when we did our Stephanie episode for, for How To Wrestling, and like, man, I, you know, I thought I knew the whole thing. We did you know, deep dives and all this. And you know, deep dives about the actual nature of breaking up. And, you know, there was like a year that Triple H was seeing Stephanie behind her back. Yep. And this isn't just kind of like, hey, I'm seeing this other babe. This is like, you know, China found love letters between yeah, them. It's, it's like serious. a fucking... Yeah, this is like a, a soap opera. It's well, yeah, it, it, it wasn't just like a physical thing. It was a full-on love affair. Like, he was yeah. affectionately feeling for someone else as well you as know, having sex with her. They bought a house together, Triple H in China. And, he, you know, he moved out kind of and was just like hoping that... It, this is basically Triple H, the big man here, who was trying to avoid confrontation, hoping it would all go away. Oh, yeah. And that's pretty much what he would do until she passed away. Like, he just avoided the whole subject of China. Like, that fucking, that interview where he got asked about her, you can see how uncomfortable and how the tone changes. Well, you know, the thing with Joni is, you know, I I got kids. Like, he's so uncomfortable about the subject because he knows what a fucking worm he was. Like, Like, it's... He can't admit. You know, that's it. He can't even admit it. Like, no, he's you know? too proud to admit that he did love her. He treated her like shit, and now it's too late to make any of that right. Like, you, you know, there's there's a lot that went into to the very sad kind of downward spiral that China found herself in, and he has a role in that. And him and Stephanie as well both have a role in that. Yeah. And you know, it's very very telling. You know, to bring up that Stephanie episode we did again. Stephanie, two or three years ago, if you remember, she was all guns blazing. Lady Balls, my new book coming yeah. out. Steph book, Q&A, going to chat about my chapters from my book. Look, all my book, it's nearly written here. Going to chat about my book, do AMAs about my book and all that. It's going to blow the lid on a lot of things you don't you don't think I'm going to talk about. Mm. I'm going to talk about everything. Mm. Where is it? It's not out anymore. Yeah, it isn't, is it? Uh, question mark. You know we'll be doing that the second it comes out. It, but right? it ain't coming out. Well, it's literally never... It's been cancelled, it, it was put. It was put forward as, like... It was originally going to be out in, like, 2016. And it's like, no, it's going to come out in 2019. Now, and now it's just, like, TBA. I'm not even sure if it's listed anymore on Amazon. But they've completely dropped any mention of it. And they were promoting this like it was going to come out hard. And I think it's just... 
you know what, maybe we're going to try and use China to promote a battle royale or some shit like this. So let's not release this book about her, you know, where we mention her in some unfavorable way. you know, I mean... The thing with Joni is, I was shitty to her, so... What a fucking coward. Yeah, it's really spineless. Because, you know what, like, I just want to know, I want to know, you know what, it would make me feel that he's human, at least. If he could at least give us his side of the story like. I'm sad that she died not heard that even no. you know instead we go we're pretending she didn't fucking exist pretty much that right. is, I mean obviously the tone has changed a little bit better than this but that is well, shocking only this year the tone has changed with her going into the hall of fame like, what, happened, just... what happened if we googled her you know Ooh, end of the world mate what if we fucking google you we'll find out that you're in a relationship with her you know it's it's a matter of public record Mr. Yeah. Helmsley like wow 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 so they keep bugging Vince about this idea and the night where Shawn Michaels goes out to give up the title and say that he's lost his smile Vince is like, this is going to be a real bummer of a show, pal. We need you to drop the IC belt to Rocky Maivia. Oh, God. As, as a reward for you being so good, then uh, I'll, I'll let you try this bodyguard thing with the woman. But it's on your head if anything goes wrong. Like, basically saying that she's your responsibility. You're liable for her actions. Like, But go ahead. Give it a go. And they do it, obviously. It's gangbusters. It works really well. Around this time, the click are also bugging Vince. Like, it's constantly them just like bugging Vince for things. They've been bugging him for years, apparently, at this point, about doing a faction of some sort. They didn't want it to be necessarily the click, but yeah. they wanted to do something together. And finally, they wore him down, and he relents, and DX is born. No, no mention of the NWO there at all, I'm assuming. What's that? I mean, but like, this is the thing, let's be honest. Yeah, I, ha- I hate this thing where, like, just admit it to yourself, even with the heart, for, like... In Brett's book, he says, like, the Hart Foundation was kind of like, you know, trying to do the NWO thing. Because we had, mm. you know, new members coming out and you didn't know who was going to join next. And, you know, it was a big group that had a stranglehold on the whole show. The fucking hell, DX is exactly the same as that shit, nah. you know? Oh, nah, man. God. DX is an original production, dude. I mean, it definitely became its own thing, but... It very much has a lot of the same beats. Well, in his words, the trio of Sean, China, and me morphed into D-Generation X. Does he mention Rick Rude? Oh, no. Literally, oh, no, 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 no. What's he got to do with it, Kevin? Get get together. Come like. on, like The trio of Sean, China, and me morphed into D-Generation X, a bunch of, well, degenerates whose arrogance and sophomoric antics made us the hottest thing in sports entertainment not named Stone Cold Steve Austin. Fuck off. The hottest thing, not Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like. Well, I may say that uh, Degeneration X was the, the little bit of rocket fuel that got that Attitude Era to the moon. Well, in fairness, DX references showed up in movies, on television shows, in magazines. What, what movies? Eddie Murphy was telling people to suck it in his movies. And in just about every football game you watched, the crotch chop was a touchdown celebration. Right, okay, so... We really were the most iconic part of the 90s, if you think about it. Yeah, very, very much so. Fucking hell. I don't even think DX was as close to getting into the mainstream as Yes, for instance. Like, the Yes movement. Like, genuinely, like... Sorry, I thought you meant the prog rock band, Yes. (laughs) That's also true. It's true, they'd struggled to get into the mainstream, that is very, very true. But they had a, a cult following all these years. I mean, DX was not was not mainstream the way no. that you know it, it it really wasn't. It was mainstream to a point that people used it as a thing to say this is why wrestling is. It was the easy thing to beat wrestling over the head with. Ten year old kids are telling their parents to suck it. That is a bad thing. Yeah. There's nothing like 
uh, that's not culturally iconic. That's like, uh oh. Yeah, we've made a mistake. <laughs> we, like. this, is a, this is a very easy criticism of which there's no. I mean, there's no real easy way to come back from the suck it thing. It's, yeah, you know, it's pretty much indefensible in that sense. If you want to hear us go more into a deep dive on this, I'd say check out our first live show we did on the Attitude Era DVD because that yeah. essentially was a, a whole discussion of why did DX think they're so much better than they were. So <laughs> like, I mean, no, showing up everywhere though. Us sitting on Pacific Blue, you yeah, know, um, Raw. They showed up on yeah, that time. Like, that, yeah. The episode Pacific Blue where Triple H uh, guarded all those pedophiles. He did, didn't he? He did, didn't he? he pedophile sympathizer. Ridiculous. Sean leaves after WrestleMania 14. We are breezing through this chapter. If you notice, this chapter is called From DX to the Game, and we're like already up to DX 2.0 now. Sorry, it's really funny. Like, towards this, usually at some point in this book report, you kind of are like, uh oh, this is going we to need speed it up. You're like, like nah, <laughs> nah, 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 nah. It's fine, baby. You're, you're very confident at the pace at which we're going here. Paige is in a hurry to get this out of the way. He's like, he's so keen to talk about bodybuilding. He just wants to get this biography shit over and Basically, done with. Basically, once we get past 2001, you can stop asking who China is. So they formed DX2 with um, the New Age Outlaws and X-Park. And that was, it was really kind of more about me. You know, <laughs> kind of, you know I thought it was really important that I was... Uh... When we changed the initials from DX to HHH, <laughs> I think it's got a better ring to it. Does he bury DX2? No. He no, doesn't? No, no, he, he says it's fun and he, he likes it. But he doesn't go into detail about how great those guys were because, like you say, they weren't around at the time. Right, but. yeah. I was just interested because there was a period of time, like from this time until like kind of, you know, 2000, Jesus. It was a long old time where like DX was canonically Shawn Michaels and Triple H and a big sausage. I think what we need to accept with this is anything that Triple H was creatively involved in, even if it involves people like China or Billy Gunn or Road Dog, people that he's made have parted ways or had bad blood yeah. with his creative association alone means that he will never bury it i think yeah you're right doesn't matter what china did the mere fact that china was his creation and, and him it was part of the idea, thing that was over with it him will always yeah. be brilliant to him so yeah this dx is always golden as well and i'm sure 2006 dx is gold in his head did like, he uh, talk about blacking up <laughs> nope no mention of really? that like no mention of whose idea it was that, that's or... not part of making the game is it like a day a day seven we black up oh but... god they talk about how at the time wcw kept running shows really near wwf shows and it was pissing them all off so we decided to commission an actual working tank yeah, a real actual a, a tank. Ta- an actual That's tank. That's a tank, that is. And we drove it right into the ring and we no, said... don't look at it. Eric Bischoff, suck my tank. <laughs> and then and then he came out and he was like, whoa, man. And we shot him with the shell and the we, cannon. And then we killed him. <laughs> and then we all went out for frosty chocolate milkshakes afterwards. It's so lame. He's describing it as like they're doing a show in Norfolk and Triple H is like in the creative office with everyone, like looking out the window like... God damn, they make me so mad when they follow us around like this. And then he looked up in the sky. No, he's saying like, I just, I wish we could do something, you know. Maybe if we commissioned a jet. I mean, I do my best thinking in the cockpit. uh. (laughs) But what he's getting out there is basically him saying that. The next day, Russo came to me. He's like, I kept thinking about what you said last night about doing something. And then he came up with the invasion. So really... That was kind of Triple H's idea. So he uh, like, the idea it. as well that like nineteen eighty eight after like the tide is well and they've been beating them in ratings for I months. No, let's really kick them while they're down. If we could only get them, like you know, these people we are defeating resolutely. The raid on WCW is what made them into baby faces. Got DX over. Fuck off! No, yeah, it's, it is. It's just 
that whole period, that ninety-eight period, where we talk, you know, they start off as this super heel group, mm. and then they do this, and then they're like, then they act heelish again, and mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, we're gonna break up, and then we're not. It's in, it's insufferable. It was not an organic like, and then they got started getting cheered, no, so they were faces. Was, they it, resisted confusing. it, like, it was yeah, very confusing. It was not fun. Much like the end of MUO was very confusing, and then it couldn't figure out what the fuck it was doing with itself half the time. Two, two different factions, Kevin. It Good says Lord. a lot that the. DX we talk about in SmackDown Crawl is probably one of the most cohesive, yeah. th- thematically, yeah. thematically consistent. Yeah, like yeah. who are you and what are you doing here? Yeah, well, this is who they are. What they do. this DX is fucking all over the yeah. place. Early 1999, DX have had a nice good run as babyfaces, but Triple H wants to turn on them and turn into a big nasty top heel. At this point in time, he's focused on improving his look. He's hitting the gym harder, getting more ripped. And in fairness, I don't know if this is something we really discussed on the podcast, but in early 99, he does go from that slender young boy in the long pants Triple H to the game, like, huge with the the trunks. The black trunks and the the new entrance. It is a a genuine transformation. And I think it's, in many respects, I think he starts modelling his look a little bit more on China. Think about it. Jeez, you're so right. China, quite early on, was the black boots, the leather, Mm -hmm. the the dark kind of, you know. Arms and legs on show. Yeah, yeah. it's it's all about showing off the muscles in the body. Triple H with the long green trousers and all that. God, you're right. Once Triple H started, you know, in corporate ministry, him and China started wearing, you know, the, the. the dark leather together. Ah, uh, now in fairness, there was wasn't it like the first week where he joined the corporation? He wore the, 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 the silver, the grey pants. Like, oh, that corporate son of a bitch wearing grey. That standard dress code. I hate him. So he focused on completely changing his look, and he has this transformation. And he admits that towards the end of DX, he'd got, in his words, pudgy. But now he got this completely new look, a complete rebrand, and in his words. The game was on. The ass kicker is back. Cool. Next chapter. Chapter 10. Training your shoulders and triceps. Uh, Tricep H. Okay, good to know. I hear they're one of the hardest places to add mass, Adam. Yep. Okay, so what's the name of this next chapter, Kevin? The McMahon Helmsley era. And what's the accompanying picture? (laughs) What is it? (laughs) What is it? Just say what you see. (laughs) It's Triple H. Say what you see. It's his ass. It's his ass. A horse's ass. It's his ass in very, very short, Stacy Keebler esque shorts here. Yeah. You Hot know, pants. And he's got there's some crease in there on the back of the on the back of the buttock. He's peeking out there a little oh, bit. Oh, it's tight. It's very tight. And he's uh, he's oiled up the back of his uh, quadriceps as well there. It's good. To to really show off the body. So it's the man Helmsley era. <laughs> Oh my god! You, <laughs> Kevin, is examining this picture like, like he's this, so fascinated with the decision. There's no like, there's no legend or key or key or like there's no picture this, or a caption. This it's, picture is this? It's just a picture. It's just of there. Ass. It's just there on the McMahon Helmsley era page. Oh there my it is. god! Oh my god! So he gets into a big feud with Austin over the summer. Uh, which leads to the three-way match with Mick Foley at SummerSlam. And the next night on Raw... Many people felt I should have uh, won that match. Cried a little bit sweeter in favour of the game. Stone Cold didn't feel that way. The next night on Raw, Mick drops the belt to Triple H for his first WWF title run. Yeah. 
major goal completed for him to, and it's also very humbling he said to be made the top guy and he's told very much that the intention is to give him a lengthy run at the top so which he, he does not get I'm pretty not sure not straight yeah. away he doesn't know but he's humbled by the idea get another picture here of uh, what's this what's that picture it's there? so him with the world heavyweight championship Adam what's the caption there becoming WWE champion was not only a dream come true wrong. but in honor that's the wrong it's the wrong belt, belt. It's wrong, the belt. Wrong, belt. Wrong, wrong era H. wrong Triple H everything about that's wrong that's, that's purple trunks Gaston Triple H right there plain Don't, wrong how, how could you absolutely ridiculous honestly really lends more credence to the fact that this pretty much wasn't proofread. Oh, it's so bad when some pictures have got captions and other ones don't. Yeah, where's the caption for the ass, mate? Oh, I don't know what's going Jesus on there. Christ. Does he love to love him? Does we, he love to pick him? Like, Is it even his ass? I don't know. It could be anyone's ass. So yeah, he does eventually drop the title and enters the feud with Vince McMahon. It, with, like Honestly, at this point in time, there is very little insight going on in the book. We're just, just storming then this through happened, then this happened. highlights. And let me guess, it may have been weird to drift the belt to the bus, but I thought it was good and humbling and I love Vince. He doesn't even talk about losing the belt oh, wow, to okay, at any point. Cool. We get a test and Stephanie angle come into it. Russo leaves to WCW while Stephanie and Tess are still engaged. So everyone's kind of like running around like headless chickens. Like, how do we resolve this? What do we do now? And I'm thinking, how can I save the business? <laughs> so uh, no one can figure out what to do about the wedding like everyone's kind of up in the air like what do we do what do we do you have to understand at this time pretty much everyone in the company was working on this issue it was on everyone's minds what do we do about the wedding someone said to me backstage at one of the shows they should have this crazy swerve where she ends up admitting she's in love with someone else and marries him or something and I thought you know that's not a bad idea Two weeks before the wedding was scheduled to finally take place, it hit me. It should be me who marries her. <laughs> what a great idea I had. That'll really help me get over. Oh my god. And hey, after I've done that, why don't I win the championship back as well? Why don't I marry her for real? <laughs> so after they did the marriage angle, the plan going into Armageddon was for Vince to win and for the marriage to actually get annulled. Oh, I see. They they were quite keen, the office were, because this was very much a sort of a, Russo started this, he didn't finish we it. We need to end this We quick. need to wrap it up, and they yeah, wanted yeah. to wrap it up. Apparently what it was is... And Triple H is quite sympathetic with Stephanie here, talking about how her character was the innocent woman that did nothing wrong, she's been deceived, she's been tricked, she's been nothing but a young innocent daughter her whole career, that's her character, that's her role. And uh, one day after having sex they were talking about the ideas and uh, they came up with obviously her becoming the heel then, right? And well, the, they're making out lots on TV. <laughs> It was because the fans turned on her and they started chanting slut at her even though she'd done nothing wrong in this angle. And she was getting heat even though she was the victim. And they could kind of tell that the fans were looking for reasons to not like Stephanie. Right, I, I think see. maybe the McMahon Association alone was giving them enough reason to want to boo Steph. And so they thought, well, let's just fucking let's lean into it. Let's go all the way with this. And that's what led to them changing the angle and having Triple H go over. So at this point then, has Triple H said... And then I fell in love with Stephanie. Nope. Does he talk about that at all? Eventually, yeah. Eventually, but Eventually. as far as we're concerned here, because the actual timeline of events is quite hazy. You know, they mm -hmm. Triple H and Stephanie on record have said multiple things about the timing of when they started. You don't always add up either. They, and yeah, it, it doesn't because they always say, "Oh no, we 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 worked together on TV for ages. We were married on TV. We never saw each other at all. No, 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 no." And then, you know, somewhere in like 2001, maybe, or late 2000s. But according to China, 
at this point, they were already seeing each other. Yeah. Already. I think that's all but confirmed, essentially, yeah. from what we know. I just hate this idea of, like, trying to be like, oh, don't blame us. We just came up with an angle where we fell in love and we fell in love. Like, right. Yeah, sure, that's what happened. Sure, pal. I mean, he does, at one point, he does say something about Steph and their relationship. And he's like, but we'll get into that later. So he does acknowledge that we need to talk about that fact. Well, on SmackDown Crawl, we could tell. Yeah, the way, just by looking. The energy, the, the chemistry, tension. the fucking tension. You could cut it with a knife. But yeah, he acknowledges we'll get into that later. At the minute, we're just kind of still running down his career, career highlights. So the McMahon-Helmsley era begins. Uh, it drove the fans crazy. They were loving the amount of heat they were getting with things like Triple H winning the belt again, firing Mick Foley, just running roughshod over the whole show. Uh, but again, even though it was Triple H being the big nasty heel, Steph seemed to get the brunt of the heat from the fans. He said that most nights she got stuff thrown at her. Uh, one night she got wanged with a baseball, which is fun. Jesus! Isn't that nice? What a, what a great thing to do. Like, oh, this character. Baseball! I'm going to fucking throw a baseball at I'm her. I'm going a battery at Shawn Michaels before That's WrestleMania 14. Fucked. Like, What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. He goes out of his way here to put over the great work he had with Mick, Rock, and Stone Cold at this point in time. Like, all three of them, he says, they did excellent business. And I'm really glad you mentioned because those guys, did, you know, Foley particularly, went out of his way to make Triple H look legitimate. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think... Like, I think it would have made for some very tedious viewing. Honestly, January and February of 2000 were such a big turnaround for Triple H just because of the Cactus Jack feud. Can you imagine like, if you didn't have that feud having to go all through the summer with the McMahon Helms? Well, that's regime. it. We just had that big, oh. long feud with Vince. And if we hadn't gone straight into Cactus Jack, I don't know, what, you go straight with The Rock again wouldn't or something? Or in like, fucking time on telly. wouldn't have been as much juice. Now, this is... This bit is confusing. Like, So we're going over the McMahon Helms, the era. 2000, obviously. Mm-hmm. Throw in a feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin and a couple of merciless beatings of other superstars, and the McMahon-Helmsley era had been going strong for well over a year with no signs of slowing down. There was one twist where Steve Austin and I formed an unlikely alliance to capture the tag team titles in April 2001. Okay, that is completely wrong. Completely and utterly wrong. June 2000, King of the Ring, six-man tag, the McMahon-Helmsley regime ended at that point officially ended officially Triple H and Stephanie were still together on screen mm-hmm. but there were yeah the McMahon Helmsley regime remember when McFoley was commissioner exactly <laughs> come on we literally said going strong for over a year no, no signs of slowing down it like, was six months pretty much exactly not to mention we've completely breezed over everything that happened in his career between McMahon McMahon Helmsley era starts and he is now part of the two-man power trip. Interesting, no Chris, WrestleMania. Chris Jericho doesn't get any yeah. sort of a mention here. We, obviously, no his love feelings, triangle. Like. His feelings on on, on Jericho that that's very much well known that the two of them had a bit of tension. Yeah, and the, the fact that he goes out of his way to mention Foley and everyone and not not Jericho. Even Kurt gets a mention, but yep. no Jericho. No Jericho. Very interesting. I mean, Jericho does literally get mentioned here, but it's not in a sort of appraising way. It's just because now we're getting into talking about the match that happens on Raw. Oh, right, where he the tag match. The quad, yeah. yeah. The, I mean, the language in this chapter is so fucking salacious and horrible. Like, does he put himself over for walking through the match? Oh, of course he does, yeah. And he, and he goes on about how like it wasn't like he was trying to be a tough guy or anything. It just never occurred to him to not wrestle. Very interesting thing. I don't know if you know, but there was a time where Daniel Bryan, he 
had an injury in the middle of a match. It was you know during his the start of the kind of his run against the authority. So when he finally got his big win against oh, Randy Orton, yeah, I know what the you're arm went about. limp, and then they told to stop the match. And that was when Brian was finally after months of him beating Damien to get his win back, and he knew he tried to fight Triple H back. That was his call, wasn't it, Triple yeah, H? Yeah, Triple H said stop the match, and Brian said, and then no one could could respond when he said it. He said, if the roles were reversed, if you were out there you wouldn't have to stop wrestling. Of course. And no one's this, gonna stop Triple H. This match is, is yeah kind of tested to that that I think Triple H is, is is in the position here politically where he is allowed to, you know, to his own detriment, I guess. Yeah. Be a big brave boy. No one's gonna tell him that he's not gonna wrestle tonight. But like. no one knows no one's allowed to come in and say Triple H to stop wrestling because he, he should have. Yeah. He really should have. Oh on this occasion for sure, yeah. Yeah. God, so how does he talk about what an ass kicker he is here then, I'm assuming? The instant I planted my left leg on the canvas to come through with a shot to Jericho's neck, I felt a searing pain in my leg, like someone stabbed my thigh with a knife and ripped it down to my knee. The pain was intense, my leg filled with uncomfortable warmth. That, I, I don't know why that alone makes me... Uncomfortable warmth. I don't know if you've ever had an injury where it gets really hot really fast and you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah, God. I could feel my quad muscle roll up my leg as I collapsed, <laughs> unable to support myself. He also describes it as feeling like it tore off completely. Like I mean, he it, felt it, it tear off. It did, didn't it? Yeah. But That's just be able to feel a muscle tear off. is such a big muscle. That's the thing. Imagine Vince McMahon when two of them tore at once. He says, I can tell you all day that bodybuilding helps you learn self-discipline and how to set goals, but my ability to return from this injury is tangible proof that it's not bullshit which is fair. And yeah, he talks about the whole sort of like finishing the match, then people saying to him afterwards like, you probably shouldn't have done that, but he's like, yeah, whatever. And this kind of, I wonder if this all kind of puts into his head this kind of constantly getting bigger and bigger because that will help you, mm. you'll be injury proof. But the reality is is that Triple H is getting, you know, he wrestles once, twice a year now and, you know, more often than not, you hear that he's injured. Yeah. He gets injured training, though, even in the matches yeah. themselves. He very, very frequently. Love to, to chart the number of injuries Triple H has had as you know his career has is wound down. Yeah, because like, he gets bigger and bigger every WrestleMania. He looks ridiculous. Number of matches a year goes smaller and smaller, but his injuries get higher and higher. Yeah, like. I don't know. Seems like that bodybuilding thing has got a, an age limit to it. I think. Next chapter, chapter twelve: training the back and rear deltoids. So that'd be the arse, then, is it? It's good. Good back. Good back. Chapter 13, The Long Journey Back. It's got a hat on this picture. A little backwards baseball cap. Jesus Christ. So I knew going into this book that this would probably be the longest chapter because you just know how much Triple H loves talking about his rehab. I don't know if you've seen any interview or on... I think they talk about it on Vikingdom Come. Always. He fucking loves this injury. He cannot shut up about this rehab. Like. People fucking... Lo- you know, people love that as one of the great fucking goddamn stories. But the reality of it is, is that, you know... While his rehab was going on, we all had the invasion to deal with. Mm-hmm. And his coming back was just very well timed to be like, thank God that shit's over. Because the invasion was over in you know, November and then by January he was back. Mm. And, you know, a nice refreshing change of pace and all that it we was. We all needed it. Like. We do- did all need it. But I remember even as a kid being like, just fucking come back already. I don't need to see you grimace and bend your knee every fucking goddamn yeah, week. Yeah, because every week they would show you the same footage of here's his surgery and then here's him lifting his leg with the doctor. I remember like, Vengeance 2001, the poster was Triple H, like with a spotlight on him in the ring and we were all like, oh, we have to watch Vengeance and we all stayed up to watch Vengeance and all that you saw on it was like, Triple H is continuing to work out his fuck leg. off. That's misleading as yeah, fuck. That was misleading because the time when Unforgiven had Undertaker with lightning coming uh, out of his hands. <laughs> He's at home getting divorced. 
So the doctor tells him to prepare for the worst. Uh, he should be out for maybe a year or more. But then later on, the doctor would tell him that secretly he was thinking, I doubt you'll ever work again. And let me guess, he came back faster than all the NFL players. Oh, well, no one's ever, guys. no one had yeah, ever, yeah. ever come back from a quad tear before. Like an entire, yeah. you've torn your quad off. No one ever come back from it. Hey, it's, did it's you, boring did... the fact because he, he tore both of his quads then later on. And this, yeah. this makes this story even, even more lesser. boring yeah. now. Because it's like, well, you did it again. Well, did, did you know that he moved to Birmingham for 10 months to rehab and everyone's like well you're gonna move away and he's like what? yeah because i want to get back in this business what, what did he eat vince sends him a ring so they can see how he works in the ring and they can keep an eye on which muscles need strengthening bodybuilding taught him the necessary discipline and goal setting that he needed to get through the recovery he took the recovery one step at a time he had a very clear routine that he would do every single day which was he would go to rehab at 9 a.m and stay there till 6 p.m he would go back to the hotel for a protein shake he would have the hotel driver take him to the gym he'd stay there until 9 p.m go back to hotel he'd eat dinner he'd talk on the phone for a few hours and then go to sleep and do it again the next day every day for weeks great <laughs> i like that this is the longest chapter as well wait till you find out about my tight schedule wow Breaking up the scar tissue was really painful and basically torture on a daily basis. He would see a lot of NFL and NBA stars also in the same rehab but facility as him, as but him, they weren't though, as tough. No. They were lazy. They, they were, were just, lazy. They were sitting there reading newspapers instead of doing they rehab. They weren't the last outlaw. Steph would visit as often as she could, and when work would allow her, she would bring a laptop and she would sit there and do business while Hunter did his rehab. He was ready wow, and she, and she would do that as he did rehab. Yeah, on a, on a laptop. A what, dynamic. What did she have couple. XP on that? Did she? I would, I would have to imagine so at the time, yeah. Kevin. Yeah, it probably yeah, was. It was maybe right. Windows two thousand, or maybe Millennium M Edition. M -E. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> ME. He was ready to make his big return. He made a wow. Everyone was shocked at what a great recovery he made. <laughs> quite the comeback that he made. Um, did you know that when he was going to make his comeback, he was really scared that no one thought that he was going to be as popular as he was before and it would be quiet when he came through the curtain, but then he heard the music and the pop and everyone cheered for him and he was like, this is one of the most emotional nights of my life. You've never heard this story before? No, I've not. I heard that he was feeling like he had a really, really big crisis of confidence, but then he saw a leather jacket and he saw a denim jacket and he thought, wait a minute, what if I was to combine these into one jacket? And he did... And that's that's how he came back. You bit your ass, I'm back. And also, mid-sentence here, we get, um... To be at Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world, getting this type of reaction was absolutely mind-boggling to me. It was... 50 pages of colour photos. <laughs> you say colour, these are the black and white photos that are meant to be in colour. Hang on, sorry. There's a lot to get through here. Jesus, the face on him in these... Such an amazing rush that I couldn't hold it together. Fucking hell. That is shocking. Are you sure this is actually, actually a WWE? It is. Yeah, it is. I know. that You're you still... It's, it's so low res print. on the back. You're still baffled by the quality of the book itself, aren't you? Like, physically. <laughs> it can't be real. <laughs> you don't want to believe it. I really I, don't. It, it feels like a bootleg of a real book. It's not even in the middle. It's like... Nine-tenths of yeah, the way. It's, it's right near the back. 50 pages of... And this... Yeah, guys, I'll upload a lot of these pictures onto Patreon as well because there is some gold in here. Designed by Richard Oriolo. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> Never been broken in this huh? business. Who are you? Uh, the one thing I didn't know about that because we've all heard the fucking 
Triple H's big return story a million yeah. times. The one thing I didn't know is apparently as soon as he got back through the curtain, he burst into tears. He said oh. like, he said he was bawling because he was just overfilled with emotion. Hello. <laughs> Literally, the, again, again, I'm saying something to you and I saw your eyes pop out of your head at the fucking picture on the page. For goodness sake, this book is such a fucking distraction. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking burn this. I will never recorded this book in the room ever again. So, what right. picture is it's this? It's chapter 14, Training Your Legs. What's the picture, Kevin? It is a... It's bl- a total package, is what it, it is. It is. It's basically Triple H from the breast down. I'd say it's, it's from the navel down. The almost, navel like. down. The navel down. Got a big shot of that junk... Uh, and his fucking quadriceps. I was going to say, I'd never really noticed before that his quadriceps are comically large. He looks like Serrano Hamza well, been injected with the rage virus. I, I, I've been a, a large man at various points in my life. I've been much bigger than I am now. I've been smaller than I am now. Yep. I am very aware of what chub rub feels like. Oh yeah, I, I was there as well. Yeah, yep. it's it's so fucking sore and it's irritating it's and the so worst. painful. And it made me feel very, very self-conscious when I had this. Oh yeah, very self-conscious and just upset as well. I remember whenever I was like dealing with it and like putting on cream over it, I'd just like be getting genuinely upset like, why have I got to do this? Why is my body hurting itself? Why why, why am I doing this? I'm 20. Like, this isn't fair. Um, But look at that. Like, his legs are basically sealed together like a miniskirt in the middle. Like, there's not an... A gap of light between oh, them. It, it looks like it looks so scary. It looks like a boss from fucking Resident Evil. Oh, gee, the big vein. It just looks like it's about to rip open and little, <laughs> like little tentacles are going to come out and drag you into it. It's the thing. It's horrid. So training your legs. Paul, don't, not like I don't want to find out. Like Paul Legvec. Yeah, there we go. That's what I got for that one. Good, good. Number fifteen. My career gets going. Dot dot dot. Again. Yay. So now he's got kind of a tweener role because everyone was so happy for him to be back. They weren't ready for him to... Tweener, my ass. You were a good guy. For they they weren't sake. ready for, to boo him all the way. He was getting cheered. But he boo was so, him all the way. You were in a feud with he Jericho. Was, he was saying he was getting cheered, but still, something about that guy people couldn't trust. People didn't like. You know, keep an eye on him. Yeah, but, people were booing you with all the comedy segments with Stephanie's divorce designed to make you seem like the coolest guy ever. Could you read this truth here could you read out this this true statement from triple h sorry the font has changed it's it's barely legible it's so light within a few months i was the world champion again yippee i won the title in 2002 at wrestlemania 18 things were going great not only for me but for the company as a whole you can't that's just a lie that is it's just a lie. Isn't that like a market like, oh shit, things yeah. are not the same anymore. This like, is like Austin, like there was a downturn in late 2001 after Austin turned heel mm-hmm. and then they turned him back face again and it's like, oh no. like Too late. The difference is here between 2001 and now is that now you're paying for Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, soon to be Goldberg. Yeah, you technically got more stars, I guess. Yeah, soon to be Scott Steiner. You've got a lot more big money names from WCW and things are so obviously not doing well. No, you're making less money as well at the same time. So, I, Unless you're just... talking about SmackDown and the creative fucking flair we had there where SmackDown beat Raw, the show where you were champion. Well, what's the verbiage he said again? Like, the business was doing well? The business was doing really well. Hang yeah. on. 
Not things were going great, not only for me, but the company as a whole. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you interpret it, that is just false. It, like, it says a up. lot. There's the only time where SmackDown started to beat Raw in the ratings was during that time. Like, honestly, this is not a good period in time mm. at all. Liar, liar, pants are on fire. Dodgy as fuck. They took the title off him and gave it to Hogan because of apparently one night in Montreal, Hogan was super over. So they Yeah, WrestleMania the 18! <laughs> you know, the main event of which no one made a peep, which was you and Jericho. Things were going great. Look, all... Fucking hell! All one night in Montreal! Kevin, all he's saying... The fact is, is my return sparked business. I'm not being arrogant, but these are the facts. Oh, my actual God. It was at Rock and Hogan. Kevin, at the time the decision was made, house show numbers were up since my oh return. Oh, my God. TV ratings were up since my return. Everything was up since I returned. And that all reversed when they switched the title over to Hogan. The only way to come out of it was to turn me back into a heel and let me get back to doing what I was best at. Wow. That wow. Is, wow. That's the first time in this book where I feel like we were expecting a lot of more arrogant, chest-beating. I was great. That's the first we've had a real sort yeah. of like, all right, you're a bit nasty, mate. Like, this, that's just, this, that's, is, this is the 2003 4 ace that we know, yeah. You're fucking kidding yourself at this point if you really feel that way. Like, that is one of the most deluded, out-of-touch things honestly. a wrestler has ever written in it's a book. just not correct. And I'm including Hulk Hogan's account of the Montreal Screwjob in there. That is... So not the case. And then it's gonna be and then WrestleMania nineteen, it was really good that I beat Booker T, you know, particularly after you know, I had a long period between hitting my finisher and pinning him as well. Because sometimes the racist needs to win, you know, the fans. A business really turned around at WrestleMania nineteen, which had an historic low buy rate of three hundred thousand buys. Yeah, well done, Triple H. The tiny bit of upturn that there was is not attributable to him. Mm. And then the bit that he says there, then where he starts taking control fully, marks a very concerted downward point. Yeah, the start of a big downturn. Like, like this is when you had, you know, Katie Vick. Yeah. The burial of Rob Van Damme. Yeah. Booker T. You know, hideous, hideous television. No, no, the company was great. I think you'll find... I think when I buried Rob Van Damme, that was a real turn up for the books. Like I will say, if you want to talk about blatant falsehoods in the bibliotech, uh, someone did suggest to me recently that we have a look at Hulk Hogan's book, ah. which I'd never really considered before. Wait, but... Which one? Oh, I don't know. The, the, the cover is. If it's, I did it, <laughs> it's a black. It's a black cover, and it's got him oh, in the red and like yellow. That. It's got him in the like the 2004 feather boa, red and yellow, going. <laughs> And the person that suggested it to me just said, apparently almost every sentence in the book can now be disproved. It's wow. like, everything is wrong. Guys, the one that came out where Ewan Hogan um, pretended that he tried to commit suicide so he could release a book Jesus and talk about how hard, hard life was and also coincide with the relaunch of TNA in 2010. I've got that book. My friend Paddy got it for me for my birthday. But what he did was he gave me the book and I was like, oh, uh, and then I opened it up. He carved out all the pages with, our, with his dissection kit and put in a, a, a flask inside. That's lovely. Which is That's very a nice. great gift. A defaced book, but that one's great because it's pretty much just him talking about how bad his divorce was mm. and how he understands how O.J. Simpson must have felt. 
Okay, I don't care so much about that, the personal stuff, but I want to hear him recounting wrestling stories. And what I, I would just what you want to hear his lies, Adam. Yeah, honestly, because I know like, you got since, a whole bunch of those. Ever since you played me that clip of him talking about Montreal, I want to hear him do like a, an interview about nine eleven or something, where he's like, "Well, you know, pal, in nine eleven, I was there, March two thousand three, brother." Like, I'm just when, finishing up playing with Metallica at Madison Square Garden when the planes came down over Pearl Harbor, dude. Like, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it, man. I mean, everyone in London was just really upset at the time, pal. We all know what it feels like now, and that marked the end of World War II, as I recall. And that was really the start of uh, the Attitude Era. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot. Uh, he says at this point as well, since they turned him heel again, it's been a couple of years since this happened, but he reckons that'll probably be the last chance he ever gets to work as a babyface. It's also not true. Also really. not true as well. I just love that he thinks the most self-indulgent part of his career, where it's like, I'm having the most fun ever. And then it's like, well, but that's therefore wrestling is the Business best is it's ever booming, been. Yeah, that is a you know the Triple H you hear about now is at loggerheads with old man Vince. Yeah, that's not the trip. I'd like to think he's grown up a little bit since then. Undoubtedly, I mean, having to work directly next to Vince McMahon as an executive now has got to have shaken up his attitude quite a lot. Like, I mean, uh, a lot of people think that we're kind of like Triple H apologists here on the show, or that we're probably you know we 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 defend Triple H a lot more than let's just say or or. Or compatriots would yeah, do. Yeah, more than people people typically would. Like, But this is very nice to dip our toes in here and know that this is kind of the concentrated, this is why people hate this yeah. guy. You know? I kind of feel like if I'm ever to do a Triple H episode for How to Wrestling, some of these passages is like, this This is the guy as well. The deluded, the arrogant, like, yeah. swinging his dick around. Am and, I fucking going over? Yeah. <laughs> So now it's time to talk about the Ricker. Um, Rick Flair arrives in 2002 in the company. And again, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I feel like I've heard it a million times. Rick was like a shadow of himself. Yeah, and Triple H kind of... It's like, come over and nod and smile at me and I'll tell you you're good on TV once every few months. Pretty much. And he uses this as another chance to bury Bischoff for like sucking the love out of the veterans like Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, Rick had a... Had a multitude of, of crises of confidence. I think to lay it all at the feet of Eric Bischoff is, I think, letting a lot of people off lightly. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of people who worked their way to making Ric Flair feel the way that he did. Yeah. You know, it's uh, too many cooks often is the case in, in WCW. I think laying the blame of anything to WCW with one person is very short sighted. As fun as it is, you yeah. can't literally say it's all because of him. But. He gets Rick back in, and his goal is to sort of get Rick to feel about himself the way that Triple H feels about Rick. Like, That's why he did the thing where he's like, look, I'm putting the belt on you, pretending that you're champion. Now give it back! You're not really. You know, will be, old man. Don't ever forget who gave you this. And so now he's hanging around with Rick Flair, and they're becoming good mates. They've got a nice relationship. And mm-hmm. when you know it, around this time, Triple H is a... Starting to get a bit of a hankering for a faction again. Oh, really? Yeah, he's really good at this, isn't he? He, is. <laughs> like, he, kind of, you know, he kind of probably from Ric Flair telling him so much that he reminds him of a young him that he thinks that he is a young him. Yeah. It's just like every few years he's just kind of like, eh, I kind of want to have a team with all my friends. And, you know, if if the team could be on top as well, like we could be running the show maybe. It'd be cool. You know what? I, I've not rewatched any of the Evolution stuff since mm. I really first did I know there's some of it like the Mick Foley Randy Orton little feud that's within that and mm. you know them kind of ganging up on Foley there's a couple but when I really think about it I think about Katie Vick I think about yeah. you know I think about Booker T Rob Van Dam. I think about the Goldberg feud which was so fucking that's oh. it as much as you want to remember the good stuff like the legend killer and everything I, like... I, th- I think of a Shawn Michaels feud 
that made someone like me who had never seen Sean grow up actually sick of Shawn Michaels. Yeah. They wrestled so much. Yeah. And I think, honestly, looking back, you know, maybe we'll do it someday. Who knows? But as it stands in my head, my recollection is it's one of the most self-indulgent periods in wrestling and it shows. And thank God the shows are only two hours at the time. Yeah, honestly. Three hours. Three hours. Oh. So yeah, it's, it's going well with Rick. It's full of change that no one sees. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and the, the, the two of them start scouting who else they want to be in the faction they end let up me with... <laughs> <laughs> they end up with Randy and Dave he says he benefited a lot and learned from Rick like he, he doesn't want to make out that he helped Rick and didn't get anything in return he got a lot from Rick right. like a lot of advice a lot of but wisdom. he was already obviously quite good to begin with so mm-hmm. Rick could only really help him so much I'm yeah. assuming yeah chapter 16 training your chest and biceps Really struggled to come up with a joke for this one, like. But then my pal Lizzie came Ch- in. Chest with, for business. I'm by a lot of things, but sex isn't one. <laughs> Thanks for that, Lizzie. That's Thank you. Very helpful. Beautiful. Uh, chapter seventeen, the one we've all been waiting for. Life with Steph. Jesus Christ. Steph and Thangs. So, the McMahon-Helmsley storyline is what brought them together. Oh, okay. And wouldn't you know it, Kevin? Everyone else could tell before they could. Oh, really? They didn't even know, didn't realise. China knew before they did because she found love letters (laughs) that they fucking wrote between (laughs) each other. You fucking snake. You mo- Oh my god. Hey, maybe Linda's got a point. Maybe, you know, going on dates and kissing and having sex. Maybe there's a little... Maybe there's That's something going on here, Steph. Maybe. It turns out there's a spark between me and my mistress. We never like, realised. fucking thought, like... Heard it all before. This is very much... If you've seen Thy Kingdom Come, if you've seen McMahon, the documentary... And Undertaker like, sat down and we, we shared a horseshoe of dip, as he told me. A horseshoe of dip? He, he told me... I'm sure you're cool about doing the bar your daughter. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm cool. I got all these snacks for the boys to make up for it. They say, well, it's okay with me. The conscience of the WWE. Booker Red gets less and less audible every time you bring him out. He's more chew now than man. <laughs> So you know how it goes. Vince gave his blessing, and then he took it back. And then, and he, then he took he, it then back. He gave it again. And he gave it again and again and again. <laughs> uh, could you please read this out, Kevin? There's a lot of politics in this business. Yep. Vince hates the term politics, but that's what it is. During my early days on the independent scene, I was told there's a gun to your head every day in this business. It's up to you not to put the bullets in. Meaning, don't give anybody any ammo to kill your career with. Screw the gun. I handed over the atomic bomb with this. If you don't think there was a line of people waiting to set it off and blow up my career, you're insane. <laughs> not really that, though, is it? Like, you get know? my wallet. It's about to get expensive. Like, he, think, like, he thinks that's so cool, obviously. An atomic bomb. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, you, you and Stephanie would have wiped off. It would be, you never would have heard of you again, like... Uh, they tried to ad- adhere to Vince's wishes, but it didn't work. After 10 months, they got back together. Vince said they could. together the whole yeah, fucking I know, I know. Time. The backlash he got from some of the boys and the fans pissed him off at first, but now he's over it because he knows the truth. It any backlash from China? Things. No? Who? Oh, What? No. The country? What? Why would, why would a country give a shit about Triple H? Why would they meddle in our affairs like that? <laughs> what? That's a very Russian thing to do, I think. Like... 
I, I'm so shocked by that still. I can't believe it. This is great. Like, because he, he's talking about how he doesn't really care what people think of him. There are still some guys in our business who hate me over this, or who think I'm a horrible person. That's fine. That's their opinion. I know that for every one of those people, there's at least one guy that I've helped, or I get along with great, that I've worked with. And if you ask any of those guys if I'm this selfish, pompous prick, they would tell you, you're nuts. And if you still don't believe me, and you still think I'm this big jerk, well, then you can just kiss my ass, because I don't know what else I can say about it. I'm out of here. The fucking hell! <laughs> Calm down. So don't listen to my enemies. Listen to my friends whom I've personally helped. They'll tell you how great. Tell them I'm great. Or kiss my ass. Wow. And I noticed that we're very much approaching we're, we're the end here. Close now. We're there's, close. Not, there's not much time here for this to turn around with a positive end now with this fucking kiss my ass business. He talks about how the McMahon family is his family now. He doesn't see them as Steph's family. They're all one big family. He hopes that she feels that way about his family. Yeah, He's very grateful and a little bit flabbergasted at how lucky he is and how everything's worked out for him, all the opportunities that he's been given. Closing us out here. The game is nowhere near over. There are still so many things I need to do. I need to wrestle in Saudi Arabia. Goals I need to reach. Milestones I need to surpass. In the ring and in life. And nothing or no one is going to prevent me from achieving them all. Do not let anything stop you from reaching your dreams. Visualize what you want to achieve. Set goals. Stop making excuses. Motivate yourself to accomplish anything you can imagine. Now get out there and do it. Wow, okay. Because if you don't, you piss on me. (laughs) You piss on them. You piss on everyone that came before you. You better not hang up any pictures of Goldberg. Sorry, this is the like last bit of the book, and it's the only point where he's tried to marry his life story to the bodybuilding. I thought there'd be a lot more like, and this point in my career reminded me of the time I tried to build up my biceps. Well, you know, he kind of said that with his recovery and his rehab, because we, we glossed it's, over it's, a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, it's but... really, though, it is a tale of two books, isn't it? Yeah. And I hope you take that advice that the game gives you here, and you're carrying that in the back of your mind when you are in the gym. And next time we see you, the ass kicker will be back, I'm sure. We're not quite done yet, Kevin. We've got the acknowledgements page left. Okay. I know, it, I'm not picking I'm, this I acknowledge in. no one. This is important, genuinely, because okay, okay. it's a last-minute swerve here that I need help with. So he thanks his family, Kowalski, yeah. Terry Taylor, Ric Flair, The Click, Undertaker, etc. The usual boys. Not China. Oh, okay. You, honestly, what, what's your deal with this country and Triple H? Like, it, they've never it? worked together, I'm as far as I know. I'm obsessed. Like, seriously. And then... Among the acknowledgements, he says, I want to thank Lucas for your patience in writing this book with me. Robert Caprio? Lucas. Lucas? That is the only mention of there being a ghostwriter. You know how in Bob Holly's book, there was a thing at the start that was very clearly, just to make you understand. This is how we made it. This is how it's done, just so you know. This, there is no acknowledgement of the ghostwriter until the very end when he thanks someone else. Lucas? Lucas. Uh, this is I, a, the deep in mystery here now. Please help if you have the any end of the question mark. I didn't think this one would end on a cliffhanger. To be honest, Adam, and if you could just take us out by reading out the final acknowledgement here. Okay. Also, thank you to anyone else I may have forgotten. That doesn't mean that you're not important. It's just that I'm writing this after traveling ten hours to Helsinki, Finland, then going out all night with the Nature Boy. Resting a sold-out show, and now I'm taking a bumpy bus ride back to the hotel. 
Oh yeah, and the deadline was yesterday. Sorry, Stacy. Still, thank you to everyone. Again, for the little boy who had a dream and the people who allowed that dream to become a reality. Bow down to the... Bow down to the little boy who had a dream. <laughs> now, this is a, an emotional end here now. We've, we've been to the story of the game, but the story of making the game is, is, far, from is far from over. <laughs> and Adam, I just want to i want to say I love you, buddy. Let's give you a little shake of the hand there. This last, Thank you for your years of service yeah, on the Agile Era podcast. It's been really special to me. And this, I'm not saying this is goodbye, but this could very much be a page break in the career of Adam Bibolo. Yeah, I'm worried for your intestines. I don't think we're writing off Adam so much today as like, you know when the Green Ranger became the White Ranger? Yeah, he's a very, yeah. He's, oh, he's different now. He's different. He's not the same, and he never will be. And then the Agile podcast just becomes even bigger and bigger than ever before. Like, it's like best case scenario, I come out of this being the game. Yeah. By the next time you hear from me, I'll be full on Gaston Adam. Worst case scenario, I'm going to be like Frodo, where it's like, oh, he's just, he's never quite going to be right again. And oh, like, it's going to be like, you're going to drink like your seventh milkshake. You'll be like, stabbed with a Morgul protein shake. <laughs> so, we'll get back to you with the report. They'll have a video report, a video diary of I'm me. I'm very excited. I'm not. We're making the game. Uh, I think at some point in the future we need to have a look at the Are We There Yet road yeah, trip absolutely, stories. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I will say, if it wasn't apparent already, I have got like a long, overarching story. Yes. Like, I'm building the Infinity Gauntlet here, folks. So far we've got the two gems, we've got like... The Body Stone from Triple H. We'll call it the Power Stone, yeah, even. Yeah, to talk to your physique, yeah. yeah. Power Stone from Triple H. And the Mind Stone from Ryback. I'm gonna yeah. Or is that maybe the, the Soul Stone, I think? I think that's the Soul Stone, The Soul honest. Stone is Ryback. We're getting there. I've already got two. I think the Al Snow self-help book, that would be the Mind Stone. I think so, yeah. There was a Tongue Stone, but the rock ripped it out. Yeah, that doesn't so count anymore. So it's gone. We've got the JBL Money Stone as well. We can take a look at at some point in time. Fucking hell. There are six we need in total. We've got four scoped out. So if you can think of any more infin- Infinity <laughs> Infinity books by the WWE superstars, please do let us know. I, I like how the lore of the Bibliotech has just increased exponentially well, it, now. It, it only counts with these books that are sort of aimed at self-help. Yeah, I, I, I got you. I can't class anything so i need six total self-help books and then who knows what will happen we'll do we'll do a snap and the patreon feed will disappear or something (laughs) half the recordings we've done will just vanish well folks you can of course later this month adam will be doing the q a you can up to a ten dollar backing get access Mm -hmm. to that or become a twenty dollar backer get access to the archive of audio commentary tracks and of course the next time you see us adam We'll have made the game and we will have an update for you here on Patreon. There will be information in the episode notes below or in the comments below how to access that. Adam, thank you very much for your professional shepherding through a political nightmare this book was. You're welcome. This is the easy part, Kevin. Honestly, this bit was a doddle. I can do a book report. Pray for me for next week. Fucking hell, yeah. So uh, if you have questions, of course, about making the game for Adam, that will be in this month's q and I assume there's going to be some chat about your process. Oh, yeah. Yeah, about yeah. tacking on your mask and all that jazz. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I mean, I, I've wanted an excuse to talk about workouts on the Q&A mailbag for a little while now. And, well, I just found my reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next time, where we're going to be looking at another book. 
It's time to shut up shop here. Return our library cards. It's a goodbye from Kevin. Shh. And me, Adam. And we'll see you next time for another Bibolo Tech Book Report. <laughs>